Bless up for tuning in to Project Cheney. Magic happens when you question everything. Conspirituality becomes reality, weirdness is welcomed, and it's okay to change your mind. Big up yourself. Thomas, Paranoid American, welcome to my first video episode of Project Cheney. And I'm really excited because we are going to talk about a subject that you and I have discussed that could be a good thread to run through a lot of subjects of conspiracy or a good foundation to start. And we are going to discuss the topic of adrenochrome today. So thank you for coming. Oh yeah. And it's funny too, because I think you were the first podcast. I was first video podcast period. I was ever on like oh. your, your old first show way back when. So we're having like a whole Ouroboros yeah. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> shows and shows ago. So, and now so look next, at you. I'm going to have to start a new podcast and then have you on as my first guest. Oh yeah. I can't wait. You're whatever you start is going to be good. Um, I like, I've, seen you um in so many great places of recent and doing so many things and all sorts of form of fun media uh do you want to tell everyone where they can find that or show them some oh, yeah. stuff since this yeah, is let's, video let's plug some stuff yeah i'll do a, a little video share here i've got so many things pulled up so you can check me out on paranoidamerican.com which i just launched uh last month and uh, here I'll just show you a few different comics. We've got The Chosen One, we've got Secret Mystery School, Time Samplers. One of the ones that seems to be the most popular is this little Chick Track style MK Ultra pamphlet. And it breaks down the history of MK Ultra from paperclip all the way to kind of modern day. And it traces a lot of the stuff that we're gonna talk about. We're gonna get way, we're gonna get way deeper into some crazier stuff today. Um, so. If you like what you're hearing, you can kind of see some comic book forms of it here on ParanoidAmerican.com and just kind of poke around and see if you like anything. But uh, today is going to be is going to be an encapsulation of sort of my my whole philosophy and my whole look at conspiracy theories in general, where adrenochrome is a very convenient sort of topic because I really do think it it envelops everything the paranoia the mythology pop culture like no one really cares about adrenochrome just the chemical by itself it's everything else that leads around it and what people are rumored to do with it uh the rumors of what it does to you like the supernatural effects that it might have and then like the ways that you get it there's all of this mythology that that circles around it so at our age do you think into. like uh the fear and loathing in las vegas is the first time we see adrenochrome no way uh, and in fact that is the most cited reference and there's uh -huh. even some uh, there's like a dvd um commentary i think on the movie where the the director and I'm, I'm horrible with names but like the you know the famous director was saying that um the author of the book anthony burgess had kind of um or sorry uh hunter s thompson had just kind of made up adrenochrome and had made up this whole backstory just as like a fiction place or at or he had heard from it from Aldous Huxley's book so Aldous Huxley 
is generally the correct answer when you want to say when did adrenochrome enter you know the the public sphere like pop culture sphere because huxley is the link to hollywood and adrenochrome um but it goes way way back before huxley even too he was he was just kind of like misinterpreting research and lumping some stuff in together and just kind of by coincidence he ended up introducing adrenochrome into the public lexicon and from there it just kind of like fermented right because like the lsd and mescaline and marijuana and a lot of these other you know psychedelics and hallucinogens that he brought up those kind of got the focus and the psychedelic revolution and adrenochrome just kind of like sat in a dark corner again just fermenting and when it came back into the public sphere almost you know almost like a century later essentially it had completely mutated into this whole new thing um and it's it's a wild story it's gonna it's gonna be uh, a really wild ride I, i'm already because i i know the references that i've found for it in ancient drawings and ancient history now but uh to think that it was kind of maybe peppered through our pop culture before fear and loathing is like huh oh, i yeah. can't wait i can't wait <laughs> i can't wait to see what so, you're gonna show me well i'm gonna kind of state my my general we're just going to go back and forth and kind of riff a little bit but i'm developing sort of a overarching theory that adrenochrome represents sort of a secular chemical version of this isolated um result but the end result of that is very similar to old ancient babylonian sort of like child sacrifice and blood worship old all kinds of blood magic if you think you're so far advanced, you know, we're, oh, we're thousands of years in the future. We don't believe in, in fancy witch tales and goblins and spells, but, uh, you know, adrenochrome we can get behind. It's the same exact thing. Again, I'm, I'm looking at adrenochrome as this like secular crystallized version of sort of Satan worship for people that think that they're too scientific or too enlightened for, you know, pagan deities. This kind of gives uh, a, a chemical representation of it. So that's my general premise on this concept of adrenochrome. And that's why it's, you know, it's, it's Moloch crystallized. It's like the, the, you know, freebasing ball essentially. Cause some people would think it's all fake or some people are like the entire thing um, is just completely made up in pop culture, like entirely fabricated. Uh, well, what are your. So I'm, I'm going to put my cards on the table a little bit that I absolutely am a skeptic at heart. I was mentioning that this whole topic came up because I was looking to write a comic book about adrenochrome and it was, I got to the part where the characters used it. So my first question was, well, how do you actually use adrenochrome? Do you inject it? Do you snort it? Can you smoke it? Do you boof it? Like, what is the specific way that you have to do it? And do they have to, you know, just kind of like if you take edibles versus smoking, you might have completely different effects. Okay. A few so. things to break down. Will you explain to my audience what boofing is? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. They can look that up themselves. Yeah, yeah Google that one. <laughs> turn, turn off the uh, the safe search. Um, I did find it interesting in life when I was researching this, and it wasn't actually to get it for myself and do it, but I just wanted to see how easy it would be for me to come by this substance on a darker shade of internet if I were to look. And um, I found it in a powder form, and mm -hmm. I found it on Alibaba website. And I was like, is this real? 
And it so- might not be. It might not be because <laughs> I've actually I've actually messaged the majority of those listers to get a sample of adrenochrome as part of this research that I'm doing. And once you actually get where like the rubber meets the road, they either throw like a ridiculous price out, like $600 for a milligram, like, you know, something ridiculous. Um, And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get charged up the nose for adrenochrome here. Like I'm going to haggle and get a decent price on it once I find it. (laughs) I'm going to get a good deal on adrenochrome if I'm going to get it. I know. And this is all the way before um, all the uh, tag words on a video. I don't know if, uh, I don't know what will get pulled from the algorithm, but all the gated pizza references and all the WikiLeaks and all the things like that before all of that, um, I was wondering, could you find this stuff that available or was it just new tag words that were coming along? No, so I mean, you've depend, it wouldn't have been as easy as just logging onto Alibaba and doing the search, but it's essentially been identified since around the 1933 or 35. And you've been able to purchase a synthesized version of it since at least the sixties or seventies fairly easily along with, you know, if you knew how to get research chemicals of any kind, you could have gotten adrenochrome as well. Okay, so we should just start in that. And I should just say ahead of time, this concoction um, that has a bag with a straw is because my jerk cat will come by while I'm (laughs) podcasting and stick his gross digit inside my drink. And so I'm like, this is going to be on video now. Normally I have these weird concoctions around me that I have to do to like uh, make my cats not harass me. So anyways, if you see that, (laughs) that's why. I think that could be like a nice, uh, you should put it in frame just so we can actually (laughs) capture that. I have to have my glass with a plastic bag with a hole in it. So if my cat sticks his hand in my drink, it doesn't touch the liquid because I don't want litter paws on my drink. So it's, it is not a bag of blood that Cheney is sipping from right it's now. It's not adrenochrome, okay. which it's kind of a similar weird color. <laughs> it's funny because some of the earlier um, sort of descriptions of it was pink. <laughs> that's everything that I've ever found on it. It's kind of like a rusty pink color. It's a little rustier than that where it almost that's has actually, that. Actually, rust is a great word to use for it because depending on the report and depending on where they got it from, um, it's described as everywhere from orange to red to kind of like a violet to a pink. But it's it's always within, you know, those kind of like blood style colors. Okay. 1933, 1935. So yeah, so so let me uh here I'll see if I can pull up some some other research here, and I'll I'll kind of just poke around through my my timeline. And I should so, say uh, to my audio uh, listeners, um, this is my first video episode, so we are going to be putting a lot of stuff that I will try to talk through, and uh, I'm sure Thomas will try to talk through too but it's going to be on YouTube and maybe you'll be able to find it in another platform, uh, another service later on. I just haven't figured out which one yet. So. So I, uh, I think I'm sharing. Yeah. So as far as I can tell so far, the very first men here, can I make this even bigger? Yeah. The very first mention that I've found of adrenochrome by name is right here is essentially from this 1937 report from Green and Richter. Um, And I'll just, I'll read it out here. It says, adrenaline induces a vigorous oxygen uptake when added in low concentrations to the reconstructed lactic and malic 
dehydrogenase systems heart muscle. The effect has been analyzed and found to be due to a formation of a red-colored oxidation product, adrenochrome, which can act as a respiration character or carrier. Uh, and then I just have this little note that they go on to thank IG Farben for gifting them uh, the chemicals used in discovering this adrenochrome. So if you ever wonder where's like the OG roots, at least by name of adrenochrome, as far as I can tell, it's Dr. Green um, via IG Farben funding. So this is where it comes out by name, but there's 1937, I can go back to at least the earlier 30s in 1933, where people are describing adrenochrome by anything other than name. They're mentioning here, um, 1933, we've got Dr. Ernst Friedhelm. Um, and on a side tangent, once you start doing research into these individual doctors and people and who they knew and where they got their funding and where they went to school, all sorts of interesting patterns start emerging, but that's a, a rabbit hole for a little bit later. But he, he mentions here that he's doing this research on rabbits and I, I don't have any pictures or videos, but it was, it was fairly gruesome sort of research where he's opening them up and uh, watching the blood and just seeing where the blood comes out directly from the heart. And they noticed that in addition to blood, there's this clear liquid and the clear liquid, the second it hits the air, it completely changes color from clear into an actual color. And he calls it the red compound. Um, and it's, he mentions right here, it's, it's oxidizing adrenaline. So this is what adrenochrome essentially is, is this oxidization of adrenaline where he mixed silver oxide with adrenaline and that kind of artificially creates this adrenochrome where it, you know, it oxidizes actual adrenaline and turns it into this adrenochrome. And when he watched this clear, these two clear things come together and turn red, that's kind of where the name adrenochrome comes from. It literally translates to the, the color of the adrenal glands. So he sees this adrenal gland, you know, fluid that's clear and then it oxidizes and as he calls it a red compound, it turns red. So as far as I can tell, this is the first time a scientist actually wrote down the exact moment that they noticed the adrenochrome as its own thing, um, but they just didn't put a name to it other than red compound. I find it so interesting that it's rabbits and the rabbit symbolism comes oh, up again oh, yeah. and again, <laughs> over just and wait. over. Yeah, just wait for the rabbit symbolism. But um, on the flip of this, something in just the last few weeks um, in Florida... Anytime you're driving, uh, you know, as a fellow Floridian, anytime you're driving or a lot of good Floridians, if there's a turtle crossing the road, um, Floridians will stop their car and stop traffic to pick up the turtle and bring it to the side of the road it was walking toward uh, because turtles have a super slow metabolism and their metabolism so slow it can take them up to 48 hours to die even if they're like totally if they're 100% gonna die it could still take them 48 hours to die they just have this super slow metabolism so I was just thinking of recently um, how adrenaline and these kind of uh, fast twitch movements must work in certain animals in like a rabbit or a cheetah or these kind of things but in the reverse I was thinking that the Galapagos Island turtles, they had no natural form of death 
other than what they guess are humans and whatever humans brought to that island. They could live forever before then. So um, I was watching a, a Richard Branson thing. So if you know Richard Branson, you could link him into the entire Pizzagate thing we're talking about, the entire Epstein Island thing, the entire Virgin Island thing. Nope, you're Virgin, dropping Virgin. some hot some hot words there. <laughs> yeah. And so I was noticing that on his island, he had a bunch of Galapagos Island turtles and a bunch of these huge turtles. So I was like, huh, I know that ancient tribes like the Maori used to walk. They could walk into the desert for a long time because they could puncture a cow and drink its blood. I wonder if you could drink a bean like a turtle that had no natural enemy. Could Does that provide a different kind of adrenochrome if the mm -hmm. rabbit provides this thing? Anyways, this was just like a crazy theory, but the rabbit and the tortoise and the hare, we always get those representations of uh, symbolism throughout our childhood. We'll actually be able to come back to that specifically about like if you can ingest this from different animals and different body parts and stuff, it's it's going to start to sprawl a little bit. So I love it. So I'm glad I'm gl actually glad you're we're going to just get into like what is adrenochrome. So that's what adrenochrome is. It's it's the the side effect of your body creating adrenaline and then that adrenaline oxidizes typically within your body and then that creates um adrenochrome and then this particular research 1933 they sort of uh chemically synthesized it not not because they like you know actually put all the molecules together and created adrenochrome from scratch but what they did is they took adrenaline and they combined it with silver oxide, and that is what created the uh, adrenochrome. So typically, if you're going online in Alibaba and you're ordering it, or at least through the 70s, I don't know how they might make it today, but through the 70s, the assumption was that if you were purchasing adrenochrome, it was probably something like this method. Although this version, and this is going to get, I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but just like um, LSD-25, is not exactly the same thing as ergot and the things that the ancients would, you know, trip out and, and hallucinate on. But LSD-25 is a very close approximation of that, that ergot fungus. Um, but it's not the exact same thing. So the same thing is here with adrenochrome. Usually when people are talking about adrenochrome, specifically if it's a salt or what you describe as like a powder, that is... Uh, a certain version of adrenochrome that is now stable so that it's like you know it's the shelf stable version and just like any other shelf stable thing you'd find at like the grocery store you know it's the product of an ig farben style corporation it's not the actual adrenochrome that is synthesized in your body and that's going to become an important distinction between where are you getting it fresh from the source or are you getting it off the shelf you know true blood it's it's the yeah for me yeah true blood or it's the formula versus the breast milk or true blood versus the real thing that's exactly it it's so interesting i um also had to write down the fact that you said silver oxide because i've been on this whole other dig that what is coded in our dna and so you have these certain numbers you have a g and an a and a u and g a u c those are like the four 
codes in our DNA of mm-hmm. the strands. And so in the silver oxide of it all, we have AU coded in our DNA. We actually know silver's in there. So in the silver oxide, it's just interesting that you have adrenochrome once it oxidizes, that it's making this very specific. Like we also have gold coded in our DNA, copper coded in our DNA, carbon coded in our DNA. So it's just like, huh, what kind of experiments are they doing on us? And then it makes me, if they're starting with rabbits, that we see this is the first scientific experiment. I'm glad. I'm so you- glad you picked up on that too, because <laughs> the rabbit kind of becomes this uh, this mascot for adrenochrome, and it's not just because of two things, right? And I've I've got this rule. When it comes to conspiracy theories, again, I really do feel like I'm a skeptic at heart, despite ParanoidAmerican.com and like my background here. Me too. As much as I play the big kid in the tree fort, I'm the most contrarian. Like <laughs> okay. I contrarian myself all the time. Like it, I play along a lot of the times, but I don't really believe anything. It's so hard to get me to be like, oh shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. So, so I guess I've got this, it's not like a rule or anything, but it's like a thought experiment and it's just... Within whatever context you're doing research, how many coincidences will you accept as a coincidence until it's finally a conspiracy? If, if it's almost like a binary. Is it six? You know, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's three. Six, I think, is a great, you know, rule of thumb. So we'll probably find around at least five or six different rabbit sort of links to this adrenochrome. We might have to bend over backwards for one or two of them, but like the actual origin of adrenochrome coming from rabbit blood that's sort of interesting right off the bat so i feel like one thing one (laughs) one thing is just a thing two things the universe tells me to pay attention on three i see a pattern and once we get to six it is legitimately in the (laughs) most basic 3d form of human math impossible once we get to six, it's a mathematical impo- mathematic impossibility. So all right, let's let's uh, add one rabbit to the rabbit counter. Okay. So so I guess that that being the the general premise, um, the adrenochrome is going to represent like mythology and Satan Satanism and blood magic. It's going to kind of represent that in the modern day after people think that they've gotten so smart that you know they don't have to worry about it. Um, and then the actual source of it kind of being discovered in the 30s. However, the reason that we know about it has nothing to do with, um, you know, the oxidization and all these rabbit experiments. The reason we know about it is because of Aldous Huxley. You tell. Is because of research that continued from here on. So once they were able to identify what adrenochrome was, later research that comes specifically around these same 30s through about the 50s um it just kind of dovetails into this original finding of adrenochrome because they're going to start finding it pop up in the blood of schizophrenia patients and dementia patients and all of those insane asylums they would start finding like six to ten times the levels of adrenochrome in their blood that you would in someone that was you know quote unquote healthy or sane so mm. this is where one of the, the first big overlaps starts to take place. Um, another fun tangent on this is that coincidentally, um, this isn't a rabbit coincidence, just a adrenochrome conspiracy coincidence. The number one funders of this particular type of research, it was called dementia precox research, and it happened to be the Scottish Rite. Uh, so you've got the Scottish Rite Freemasons being essentially the only global organization that is pooling money 
and actually focusing, like laser focusing on this topic of dementia precox. Um, Don't you also think it's interesting in the dementia of it all? And even in the, um, we later find like in our childhood, there's this heavy Alzheimer's. And then now in our, uh, as we're adults, we're starting to see the, 80s football players where they're all talking about traumatic brain injury. All these things we can't find out unless we have a coroner look at them. The same as Vax injury, the same as all this stuff. We can't find out um, if any of this stuff is real unless a coroner looks at them in afterlife, almost like an explanation of experiments that were happening to that rung of people for a reason that we don't really know about. Even the insane asylums of it all. They shut all those down really quick and then yep. what, no one's crazy anymore? Oh, they are, but we just need to push SSRIs onto people and we can't do it if we are only pushing them in there. So it's just like all these little beaker experiments that they're doing on us as a whole, um, even down to the um, insulin uh kind of weird pushes they all seem to be parasympathetic sympathetic things to beaker us into like little perfect carriers of dreamy adrenaline well, <laughs> well here's an important distinction too specifically when it comes to dementia and alzheimer's and and kind of you know, adrenochrome by proxy is that dementia and alzheimer's af affects rich old people um so that's where you know if you're wondering well why did the scottish right and i'm this is sort of my you know conjecture i'm just thinking out loud here but why does the scottish right of all the things they could focus on why is dementia precox and why does dementia precox also get all sorts of very interesting um like other people donating to the cause and people becoming interested in the cause specifically high-ranking people and you know like the elites and it's because it's affecting them and they can't buy the way out of it. You can't buy of the cure of dementia. There is really no cure for that decline in mental cognition. So because of that, and there's no real cure for it, they wanted to find out, you know, if I've got all the resources in the world and I've got all the scientists, you know, under my thumb already, can we please find a solution for, you know, grandma going crazy? Do you think at all the dementia, blah, 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 could be side effects that they were maybe partaking in the drug of adrenochrome at parties. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> like, are so, you telling me my grandmother was doing lines of adrenochrome with her lady friends at book club? So, so I don't want to dwell on like the historical real, we can get, we can get into that, but I'm going to keep it drawing these lines. So I started with Huxley and I jumped back to the 1930s and the Scottish Rite sort of funding this dementia precox. Well, the way that we eventually get back to Aldous Huxley is that in addition to people finding these elevated levels of adrenochrome in the blood of these schizophrenia patients, some started to theorize, well, if I take their blood and I inject it into mine arm, does that make me temporarily, you know, schizophrenic? Um, so, so there was this theory building that you could kind of get like true, you know, chemical empathy from someone that was going crazy by taking their blood and doing a blood transfusion. And you could, for a short period of time, actually kind of experience exactly what they were going through. And they were hoping that the reverse might also be true, that a transfusion of blood from a healthy person into the dementia patient could also help them. Well, this is actually something we've got today. You can find like the Silicon Valley and the tech moguls and the rich people where they'll just hire like a 20 year old, you know, in shape 
person guy or girl and they'll just like sit down with them and do like a blood transfusion and it's sort of like a again like a secular version of vampirism or i think a real easy way to tell people about it in like a very pop culture way that everyone's hip to lance armstrong this is a very simple (laughs) idea of him just taking his own blood when he was when it's all oxygenated and full of uh when he's all up high in the mountains he would draw his own blood out so then when he was on the tour to france he could give himself (laughs) his own blood transfusions um i feel like it's a very simple if we could do that with our own six-week-old blood why wouldn't i do it with six-year-old cheney's blood if i had enough money to just have a refrigerator full of my own blood why wouldn't I do that if I was the Queen of England? And now you're t- now you're going to touch on some things that'll bring us, you know, from the 30s back to like negative 3,000, right? But but part of that really is that perhaps there's something to not just blood transfusion, but to adrenochrome, the substance, being able to give you some kind of insight into like an altered state. So that idea that I could take adrenochrome, put it into my body, and be into an altered state it gets lumped into the discoveries of mescaline and magic mushrooms and lsd and all of these things and this is where aldous huxley writes about it in doors of perception but adrenochrome almost just gets like a little footnote and it and doesn't get a whole lot of other attention outside of pop culture and you know medical research and in ways of your research or even just when you're you could just be on any one subject and you're, you don't know why you're getting called down certain ways or certain channels or certain, and the more open and the longer you stay awake, the more you get fluid with this like universal feel where you get borderline. There is a fine line between when you're getting full downloads and schizophrenia. And so I can imagine too, I know people that are far, I always am like, they're way more magic than me because they're working in realms that I, you can't always go play in those realms and also be in the 3D and present. But I do know people that play in those realms. And so the labels that are given to people in just simple forms of medicine, like schizophrenia and bipolar, and it's just one doctor's term of who you are, but could you be a special person that sees beneath a veil that not every, everyone's capable of seeing? And if there's those certain people in tribes a thousand years ago, would we not all want to take their blood if we could? Would we all not want to see below the veil that they're seeing? We all can't live in it in the 3D because that's not quote unquote normal. But the elite, they like how they say millionaires don't care about horse, you know, the stars, but the billionaires do. I feel this same way. Like the millionaires don't care about magic, but the billionaires are all practicing it. <laughs> yeah, I, there's a, I don't have like a, a quirky quote worked up for it yet, but there's definitely this fun dynamic of the people that, are like super like that the bell curve uh meme where like all the way on the end it's like people that believe in astrology or all these like bumpkins and like you know idiot soccer moms and then like the super smart people um they're like oh you know i'm above astrology and then you get into like the bell curve of like the genius billionaires and now they're believing in astrology again um so there there's definitely an aspect of that and the, the funny part too is that who has enough money and and think outside of the 19th century like or even the, you know the 20th century and 19th century go back to the 1700s or 1600s who actually has the free leisure time and the resources to get all these arcane books and to even think about philosophy versus just surviving the next day or 
um, just, you know, putting together your, your very basic needs of survival. It was only a very tiny echelon of elites that could even kind of contemplate some of these things. And I'm not saying that like idiots couldn't philosophize and come up with great um, theories, which they could, but in general, the people that had these vast libraries of handwritten books um, that came from before printing press and all these old arcane sort of sciences, you kind of had to be in this like elite class to even have access to it, let alone to have enough interest in it to use your resources to go and do all of this stuff. So I think that still kind of applies today. But with the advent of the internet now, I mean, printing press was one of the first kind of, you know, big revolutions. But of course, the internet, now anyone can kind of read all these arcane texts that no one even had access to before. So I think these are these are things that you have to keep in mind with the dynamics that change. Because again, this story of adrenochrome and essentially child sacrifice and pizza gate it goes all the way back to at least like 7000 bc that we can kind of like point to and say for sure here's a site where people were sacrificing children for a specific cause of um you know wealth or just productivity or just for you know the the weather god to come and give them rain but whatever it was it was always had to do with this concept of fresh and pure blood and innocent blood imbuing you with the supernatural powers. Um, and it just, it develops again, like over 10,000 years. Now it's like a crystal that you can look up on Alibaba.com and just order and have it sent to your house. But the whole mythology of that thing and why you would even order it goes all the way back. Do you think it also does attach to vampires? What do you mean? The, the adrenochrome, the adrenal, instead of it just being like, oh, I want to suck your blood. No, I actually want to suck your adrenaline gland. Oh, so I, I think so. <laughs> Although you wouldn't really be able to get easy access to the adrenaline gland through the neck. And actually, doesn't it go from the side of your body all the way up through? Well, of course. I mean, anywhere that your blood pumps, you will have uh, adrenaline. And as it oxidizes, as the adrenaline is actually used by your body, it turns into this adrenochrome, um, and I want to I want to go on a, a, a very specific topic here that I think is is at the crux of this, and maybe I, I need okay. some help in like figuring out a way to explain it clearly okay. and succinctly. So, are you familiar with the with the honorage effect uh, when it comes to like marijuana? Have you ever heard of the honorage effect uh -uh. before? Okay, have you heard of terpenes? Yes. Okay, so so for anyone that doesn't uh, know all the different terms, terpenes are sort of this naturally occurring taste for almost every organic substance or a large number of them, um, specifically like floral and citrus and limonene and pine oil, like all these different classic smells and tastes are essentially these terpenes. So terpenes we've known about forever. And we've also known about marijuana and THC and CBD, but only in the last like I don't know, 20 or 30 years when marijuana research was actually being done earnestly and not just, you know, that thing you would use to throw someone in jail. When they actually started looking into all the different things that it can provide, they found all these other um, compounds in addition to THC and THCA. They had CBD and CBG and CBH and like, you know, I don't even know what the full list is now, but there's probably a very long list of all these other small little compounds. And these things you only get as you're kind of processing, uh, you know, the original substance. So as you take marijuana and you extract it and you try to distill it and create THC, 
isolating them. You can isolate just CBD or just THC or just THCA. You can do these things. Well, if you just take a distillate of pure THC, there's some sort of theories and ideas that you're not getting the full benefit of like the actual plant that grew in the ground and was outside and it was getting sunlight because the, you know, the plant doesn't grow in a vacuum and the plant isn't just growing pure THC crystals. Like there's other reasons and other ways that it's, you know, um, sort of observing the environment and taking that into effect. So if you just take the isolated THC you're not getting the same benefit as if you get everything that the plant has to offer. And that is sort of a summary of what is the honorage effect, where you want the THC and the CBD and not just the chemicals themselves, but in the exact ratios that that plant naturally sort of put them together in. Because there's like the plant knows better than you do about the creation of this substance. You're just kind of ingesting it. So that's the idea of of uh, the honorage effect. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's something with the like vitamin C and zinc or something like your body. Uh, zinc helps your body actually absorb the vitamin C. I might be all wrong on it, but well, there's I mean, something... the, the, you're talking about the exact same concept here, though, where different chemicals can interact with each other in your body. So yeah. this is saying that you want all the chemicals, like the whole entire plant. They, I think they call it full spectrum. Okay. So usually, when you get like the full spectrum whole plant then you're getting the full benefit, in theory, of this honorage effect. The reason that I bring the honorage effect up and the reason why it ties into this whole like adrenochrome thing is that I'm theorizing here that adrenaline is like the whole marijuana plant. This is, this is like the adrenaline in your body. And as you use it and you distill it into its individual parts, yeah, you can get adrenochrome and you can get all of these other sort of side effects, um, but what what is also being created that we're not detecting yet, that we don't have someone that was like, oh, that clear thing just turned red. Let's do that again. You know, like there might have been 20 different things that got synthesized in that process that we just don't have ways of detecting yet. So this is going to go into like, well, why can't I just order it off of Alibaba? Well, because the Alibaba is like the CBD isolate or the THC isolate, you don't get the whole honorage effect. You don't get the ratios of other things that might've been in that adrenaline that also got sort of oxidized and also went out and through the rest of the body. In addition to adrenochrome, adrenochrome might just be one of like five or 20 different things that got synthesized. So this is going to go into, well, why can't I buy it off Alibaba? Why do I need like a fresh kid that I just tortured? Well, that's, there's your reason because adrenochrome again is like the thing that you detect afterwards like taking a and i can tell that you smoked weed so if i find cannabinoids in your system then i know that you smoked weed but i don't actually see it in you so i kind of see this is what adrenochrome is yeah i can totally uh even on the opposite scale think of like a hunter wanting to kill a deer in that first clean one shot because they don't want that released in the blood whatever that fear is or struggling or any of that they don't want that in there that would that make it too gamey what i don't know the term or the lingo but maybe I know it's, the, it's the, opposite the opposite effect now right like they, yeah they, they want the fear they want that spike of adrenaline and and we're venturing into like the mythology and the conspiracy behind all of this at this point up until now this has all really very much been just kind of like objectional fact so far um the motivations behind why someone might do it why you might take adrenochrome um and what happens to you after these are things that i don't think 
are known yet, but hopefully I'm, I'll be able to find it out. So they, they have these insane asylums and they realize that the schizophrenic blood, if they inject it into themselves, it gives them like some sort of feeling. They feel a veil. It's a theory. It's a theory. And I don't know if there was enough um, positive results where they were actually able to consistently produce these effects. Like they, they definitely got some people sick. Some people got sick doing blood transfusions from these insane asylum patients. Um, they also we're talking 1930s science. So, you know, it's a little bit crude. It's a little bit scientific. There's a lot of, of room for growth, I would say in like a, a very soft way, but well, the, we see uh, a lot of, uh, philanthropists i like this word instead of pedophile philanthropists uh start to invest in the 1930s in the americas too so you got these insane asylums popping up everywhere um and you see these same people be very into insane asylums and child uh hospitals and stuff when you get into the jimmy savills later on so i i definitely think it's a curious link that i didn't even think about uh that there was some humans on the planet that were naturally producing more of this but obviously there would be so there's there's a tie here i'm, I'm looking through my notes so 1891 is kind of where the concept of dementia and alzheimer's they all like they were slowly coming into form and people have known about dementia since before they had a specific name for it you know like like macbeth and even before macbeth people have always known at a certain age there's a chance that there's just like a ticking time bomb that just makes you start losing faculties so as far back as you can go 1891 is kind of where you can put your finger on the map and say someone decided to start looking into this as a actual science and to like root out the cause um so this is as far back as sort of the science goes and then when we were talking about actually injecting it and if you could take the blood of a schizophrenia patient and actually feel the effects of it there is a uh i've got a section here on pop culture here we go so what we're talking about right now is southern and he had this short story called blood of a wig and the wig is essentially and i'll read some of these quotes here but they're talking about taking the blood of patients because this guy read about it in the paper from the early 1900s and injecting it um so this actually started me on some of my research because he's got a fictional story this you know admittedly a fiction thing came out in high times i've got like an original copy of it from like the 70s i think um when it was published in their magazine but he's talking about this rumor that he had heard about where that you could take this you know schizophrenia blood and inject it into you so he's not necessarily calling it adrenochrome here but it, it is the thing um he also calls it red split uh because it makes your your mind split from itself so i'm just gonna read the back and forth it says listen man you ever made red split i beg your pardon yeah you know the blood of a wig no i said not really understanding i don't believe i have well it's something else baby i can tell you that uh, well, what did you call it? I'm not sure I understood. Red split, man. It's called red split. Schizo juice. Blood. The blood of a wig. So here you've got this uh, this early reference that predates Hunter S. Thompson, and they're talking about this, uh, this schizo juice, as if it's like this next level drug. You can almost imagine that same scene where it's uh, Hunter S. Thompson and his lawyer, and the lawyer's talking about, hey, I got this stuff that, you know, it's it's way stronger than anything you've tried. This predates that. 
this right in this moment is completely, I have always looked at Britney Spears since she's been having her IG breakdown. And I've always seen her as a Sookie Stackhouse, Stackhouse or Sookie, Sookie Stackhouse. I think that's the true blood girl. Sookie, it is, yeah. Sookie, Sookie. Oh, Sookie. Oh, and man. she kind of feels like Sookie. She kind of looks like Sookie. And there's something about her that also feels fairy. She has this fey blood. And if you know about vampires, fey blood is even juicier to them than human blood. It it tastes different. They can't get enough of it. And so it's like our schizophrenics the fae blood of this or are they this fae representation <laughs> in this idea. tale and then are they keeping britney spears because if we can keep we we find out that these certain celebrities are schizophrenic all the time from all the way back when i think um tawny katane and even how they give themselves these two names the beyonce the sasha fierce of it all so we have britney we have this dancing little schizophrenic that if we can separate our personalities too and to all these different personalities so you can ride on them like that movie split so you have that split blood right split red right here so mm -hmm. like that movie split if we can split their personality so much could we drink specific people's blood that tastes even juicier is it like grade a so certain of these celebrities that we're seeing is that grade a crazy juice so when we're watching her just dance online are they telling all these sheiks and royals like she's on one we're gonna sell this crazy juice right now oh i i can yeah i can do you one better than that to build on it where like hey look she's in season like the you know like the juice isn't gonna get any sweeter than it is right now so come and tap it before you know winter comes okay if we're gonna the salts and the waters in our body and everything that's very alchemical um is she on a moon cycle and are these moon children that are being created on specific days like we're about to run into the full moon which was also just her birthday we know they're all doing rituals will we watch certain celebrities amp up amp 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 up or are certain celebrities actually having children all the time that are just juice factories for this because we know they breed certain the bloodlines are important for a reason so it would just be very curious, like um, even so, in... so. There's there's two tangents on that. Go go go. One one tangent is that it goes outside of this adrenochrome, maybe, but it can be pulled back in. Is that there's definitely some research that can show that this concept of being able to like breed the ability to transition in and out of different states, um, like for example, someone that's a schizophrenic that could be passed on through your genes. But that also means that you could almost use like a system of eugenics to breed the perfect person that has like just the right kind of schizophrenia. And this is sort of a concept of the conspiracy theories behind like Project Monarch, where not only did they train like these sex kittens, but they didn't just pluck them off the side of the street. They actually identified specific familial lines of people that went back and had a history of um, being able to be programmed or or having split personalities and and there's also a fun thread that starts pulling in redheads and anyone that has sort of like auburn hair uh, because they were kind of known to be in in you know endowed with some sort of like magical properties uh actually i think some kings would like forge their swords in the urine of young redheaded children or something so like there's this weird line of people and and lineages that are specifically made just to be programmed and just to turn schizophrenic 
Uh, that's that's a that falls under Project Monarch sort of theories. And a redhead thing, scientific fact: redheads need more to get put under with anesthesiologists than any other uh, color hair. I've never there's heard a, that before. There's redheads that exist in every single culture across the world, and uh, every single color of skin has redhead representation in it. And uh, it's the second biggest minority on the planet after green eyes. So, and I, usually I that redhead that. and green eyes also goes together. So when you get this super huge, any of the giant lore you look up, any of the Mary Magdalene lore you look up, any um, Genghis Khan, all redheads. So I think it's, this is a thread I did not expect to hear in the adrenochrome thread, but I think well, it's and, definitely And the reason red. it's coming up, because if the original concept in the 30s at least or even in like you know the early 1900s before they had a name for it the idea was that you could harvest this particular type of blood from a schizophrenic person and it had some kind of property whether it was magical or supernatural medical importance for the advancement of this you know pre um dementia precox research whatever that was there were theories that certain people could almost be bred into being the certain types of schizophrenic. So as you're mentioning, you know, like the juice is ripe uh, right now, you could almost say like, here's this, you know, our, our prize winning sort of, um, you know, our seedless watermelon at its peak. And it's the, the Britney Spears, you know, Instagram feed. This is one of the truth in plain sight that I kind of think celebrity does is why would I need some back channel to order or sell things if I can do it in plain sight? And so we have these catalogs called Instagram and Twitter and all these things with different celebrities, different radio. Wayfair. <laughs> Wayfair. Different. Why would we need to if we can just hide it right in plain sight? So I think they're doing this kind of stuff to us all the time. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. But even... Why would a sheik or a royal need a prostitute or a random 12-year-old if they could have a random 12-year-old Britney Spears? It's just like people don't think evil enough. <laughs> when I think too, it might be like when you go to the store, are you going to just get like any, like I'm going to use a, a dumb example of like cola, right? But do you walk in? Do you specifically look for, you know, your Coke or your Pepsi or your RC or like the name brand that you're used to? Why do people spend $9 on a Starbucks coffee? Um, in addition to programming and, you know, MKUltra and everything, it's also because of consistency. You know that if you bought that coffee in Texas or in Alaska or in, you know, Connecticut or even out of the country, you're still going to assume that it's got the same kind of consistent flavor and everything that you're used to. Um, so that like you're buying a very specific product that has been like custom made and like it's the exact same formula every time, kind of like it's, McDonald's, right? Or in the opposite end, everybody can go to Walmart and get any pair of jeans, but some elite people can get Balenciaga. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is the difference again between Wayfair and AliExpress, you know, ordering adrenochrome from like some Chinese factory or going into the basement of the building next to Comet Ping Pong, not Comet Ping Pong because semantically don't have their own basement, but there is an adjoining building that does have a base. So anyways, if you go and you get it there, if you get it from, uh, you know, Marina or you get it from Lady Gaga or whatever, that might actually matter. You know, it's it's the Wagyu beef 
of uh, of adrenochrome versus just going to McDonald's and hoping oh that gosh, it's only Kanye. one cow instead of fifty. This adrenochrome's from Kanye's rant right before we put him in the insane <laughs> asylum. <laughs> Kanye's the perfect schizo for this. Well, and if you and if like uh not to inject, but like the Rothschild wines and stuff, if you like go back and you look at their their sort of fertility god and ball represented wines, but you've got certain years that are worth a lot more money than other years. Um, and just because it's old doesn't necessarily mean that that particular um, season was the best. You know, the 67 might be a lot more expensive than the 63 or the 65. I'm just throwing numbers out here, but it's not the year. It's everything that happened during that year. How was the crops? How was the dirt? How was the weather? So I think you're actually, you're onto something that I haven't really pulled out into this amount of detail, but you know, maybe they wait for, for celebrities or just people to go through their natural mental cycles and it's all right. You know, they're, <laughs> they're fattening them up. This is like the fatting up version of like, all right, once they get to that certain level, then we're going to extract the adrenochrome or then everyone can come in and we'll do the ritual. And if there's just a whole bunch of schizos in the street and we can all see them everywhere now, like if you just drive through the streets of Los Angeles or New York and you just see people jerking off on the side of the road or ladies walking around naked and crazy, they can be picked up and dropped off at whim. No one's going to miss them or notice. Like they well, all actually, have cell phones. This is, I'm glad you brought up the, like the true blood analogy because very similar in true blood, they usually didn't want like a drug addict uh, blood. You know what I mean? They wanted like a, a normal, like a pure person's blood. And that there's the same thing in this kind of dementia precox research where I don't just want someone that's acting crazy because of a drug. I want someone acting crazy because of the mental decline and that spike in adrenochrome. If if I test their blood and they've got meth in it, or if they got LSD, or if you know if they've got like an actual hallucinogen or a psychedelic in it, then like they're not even worth it anymore. Like I needed the actual crazy person blood. And all roads lead back to Real Housewives of Beverly Hills lately. But in the Real Housewives <laughs> way, Lisa Vanderpump, one of her biggest huge um, humanitarian efforts that she did was uh, to stop the uh, Yulin Dog Festival in China because the Yulin Dog Festival was a specific festival that, yeah, they could get wild dogs, but when they killed the wild dogs and tortured them, they only produced a certain amount of adrenaline. But if they stole dogs and took dogs that were taken care of inside people's houses and then tortured them, they produced a whole next level of adrenaline. So they were doing this Yulin Dog <laughs> Festival all the time in China. And Lisa Vanderpump was the biggest person that was like, we got to put an end to this festival. So I just think this is interesting that we find it happening everywhere, but it's unfathomable that it's happening to humans. So, man, that, what a crazy, what a crazy uh, reference that you just brought up because... This is one of the ongoing themes of adrenochrome. There's there's actually a, a number of different ones. And let me uh I've got, I've I'm working on a list that it's not complete by any means. But my my sort of list of ongoing themes is uh right here. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read this verbatim, but we've got vampirism and cannibalism is a core theme of this whole adrenochrome idea because again, it's taking someone's blood, thinking that into my blood now i have that magical property and and even beyond that it's like i'm not crazy they're crazy so if i can take whatever 
is like making them act different and apply it to my my sane mentality then i can actually like use it to my advantage i can almost like drive it around like it's a car whereas you know the crazy person they have no control over it and this is sort of the theory behind the original dementia precox research but this kind of does root back to you know the fountain of youth and bathing in blood and drinking blood and um all the way to kind of like the ancient fertility cults where you mentioned you get that fresh kill well in addition to sometimes not wanting the adrenaline to go through the blood sometimes also your first kill you you run up to it as fast as you can you cut out the heart and you take a big bite out of it to get that supposed to almost be inheriting like part of the soul of that animal um kind of into you and again this is this is gonna in a very weird and surreal way there's gonna be a human correlation to this in any decade you want to point to but we're gonna have it all the way up to modern day i so. yeah i can't even um the indiana jones uh, keeps coming up for me too. The amount of symbology and references and everything they put inside Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom uh, when he reaches inside and pulls out the guy's heart and then it shuts in front of him and then he gets dropped into because uh, his heart was beating so fast because of the fear of about to be dropped into the <laughs> fire. So it was getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And once it was at its peak moment of beating, that's when he wanted it. Well, and, and so and it I'm was gonna... just the symbology of that. And I'm going to show some some interesting before and it's not like i discovered it on my own but it, it fits into this so well but there are some some uh central american gods and rituals specifically in the aztecs that they also did all sorts of human sacrifice like that was kind of their currency like they instead of evangelizing and winning people over and like you know like might makes right and the, the bigger the group we get it's not like christianity they kind of evangelized but they were just trying to get more human sacrifices so they would go out and just grab people and bring them back and the more they could sacrifice well one of these gods in particular that there another thread that i'm going to pull up here is weather gods very specific to be weather gods that are in charge of rain and storms and wind um but there's this one particular god and I'll, we'll get to the names a little bit later but the act of a child crying because it's being tortured as it's being sacrificed the the teardrops of the child represented the rain coming down from the sky and it almost became interpreted that if you sacrifice the child or a baby and it wasn't crying then it was almost just like throwing the sacrifice in the garbage like you're only getting you know a 10 percent return on this child's <laughs> sacrifice so if you can torture it a little bit, so they would actually just like rip the fingernails out of the children so that they would be crying and screaming and bawling so that, you know, bawling, uh, I'm just throwing it out there, no pun intended, uh -huh. but as the, the child is bawling and crying, that's supposed to represent these tears and, and almost every instance of child sacrifice going back to Baal and Moloch and ancient history, it's almost always a way of saying the planet or the earth or the gods have given us this abundance of things you know including this child you gave me enough nutrients that i could create a child i'm going to give this child back to you back to the gods and back to the earth to kind of like show back so that next year or next season it'll it'll come again so they really thought that taking this baby it was like them personally helping reenact this resurrection story so that the sun would come back and so that you know, winter would end and summer would return. So that's kind of at the very, very heart of this child sacrifice ritual. And 
as it goes over time, you go like when they actually do it to Baal and to Moloch, and it's developed into these actual religions and rituals with gods that pot potentially have names. Now it's not just so that powerful. Um, and that's sort of this modern day version of it as we come to today. Now this the same exact concepts of you know ritual sacrifice and child sacrifice and vampirism and cannibalism that kind of equates to the same exact dynamics here. So that so this is just one of the recurring themes is this concept of vampirism and cannibalism. So <laughs> for some people it's just a drug and uh you is there a whole bunch of ways you can take it? Did you just is it just a crystal? Do they shoot it up? Do they want it fresh from the source? Um are some animals better than the others? Like, these are all the questions that I would ask at the beginning once we discovered it. So I got to imagine they did all these rituals too. And they were testing stuff out. So so vampirism and cannibalism kind of getting grouped into one thing, but it represents, again, like consuming another person or another animal potentially as their live and their blood, and that gives me some kind of power. So then... That is almost like a biological, like a like a gut instinctual level. But then you've also got a concept of just blood magic in general. And this is where we're talking about like Phoenician magic and the Canaanites and actually building a huge um, idol to Moloch and worshiping it. And um, we'll get into some really weird stuff on the, like the Moloch worship. But blood magic is sort of a subset of vampirism and cannibalism. Vampirism and cannibalism, imagine this is like your ancient ancestor blood fresh and thinking that it gives them some origins of vampirism and cannibalism all the way up to Jeffrey Dahmer, essentially blood magic is kind of attributing like an actual system and rituals around this cannibalism and vampirism so it's almost like this next evolution in the same process then you've got sex magic which is very much intertwined with blood magic you know blood sex sugar magic kind of thing uh -huh. ritual sacrifice this is just a for a very specific of blood magic in particular. you know even in that you blood sex sugar magic what does sugar do to you <laughs> what does sugar do to you like well it's... it, it, it uh, rewards you right it tells your your body that like you just found some kind of resource that's going to help nourish you so it like does it give you this fake... your dopamine and they call it like sugar high like uh, an adrenaline boost does it give you like this uh little reward quickly and then you have a crash afterward but would the adrenaline taste different if I could give you a little sugar high before, like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if, if you're diabetic, can you take adrenochrome from someone who had sugar? Well, they, you know, Is the it like insulin, a glucose levels? I, I think it's funny that the right now in modern science, uh, we have the EpiPen. Um, and we've seen the battle of this go skyrocket through the roof, depending on the president. Um, and that's always a really big deal on what kids need EpiPen for. And when EpiPen go bad, it turns into synthetic adrenochrome. And then you yeah, also that's have, exactly right. <laughs> you have this adrenaline skyrocket that everybody keeps talking about adrenaline or insulin, 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 which is really just parasympathetic, sympathetic 
sympathetic. It all attaches to the same thing somewhere. But I've heard people theorize that the wacky vacky, um, the first shot kills 25% of your white blood cells. And the second, the booster introduces insulin into your body. So the second they can introduce insulin into your body, it's like a synthetic respirator for your body to not produce its own insulin anymore. So they're making an insulin dependent society uh, is an interesting correlation with uh, in, uh, EpiPens and adrenaline to me. Like it all just feels like this is encompassing. Well, you brought a great point up that if you had an EpiPen and it goes bad or you just let it sit around for a while, that's literally you've just taken adrenaline. <laughs> it turns and you let this it color. oxidize and it turns in. Well, it doesn't like all of the adrenaline doesn't directly turn into all adrenochrome. Like adrenochrome is then inside of this oxidized liquid that's got, you know, still has some adrenaline, still has some other things in it. Um, so, so. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll continue on some of these yeah, different, uh, <laughs> so, so again, ritual sacrifice is like sacrifice, which is a subset of ritual, you know, human sacrifice. And the reason why child sacrifice matters is because the child hasn't had a chance to like go bad yet. Hasn't had a chance to like become evil or get corrupted. That's part of one of the, uh, the ideas now I'm going to put on my skeptic hat. I'm going to put on my, my hat of like, what about the people that didn't believe in all of the magic and the Phoenician, you know, hoodoo? Cause there's always been some kind of secular scientifically minded people, even before there were names for them. So there's also a practical reason for child sacrifice in particular, and it's kind of linked to eugenics in a way as well. And that's the, think about those, those children that were and that the god needs the children to cry so that you know represents the rain and the rain comes because it's essentially fertility cult they're almost all fertility cults um so as this child is crying um a lot of the children that were naturally just crying all the time because they had some kind of issue with like their mouth or they were like not just teething but they actually had some kind of developmental issue that just caused them to be in pain all the time well, now this gives parents an out to take this baby that just won't stop crying. It won't shut up. You know, it's been crying for the last four months. And now they can kind of sacrifice that child. And A, it gets rid of a little bit of a burden of taking care of a developmentally, you know, like unwell kid. It allows them to show their status of like, we're doing so well that we can give up the, the greatest thing that we can essentially give up more than money essentially at the time. Or in some cases, they would they would sell it to rich people because the rich people were sterile or the rich people didn't want to give up their babies. So they would just buy a baby from a poor, you know, poor couple. And then like Baal doesn't care. Moloch doesn't care if it was your baby or some other baby. They just want the baby. Um, so so this this sort of same concept of they were buying of, favor of. Yeah. And of, and of not just giving your children up, but like a practical way of getting rid of, you know, the the children that your society doesn't want to the point where some cult down on you and and see that oh wow you know the the uh, jones across the street have had that kid that hasn't stopped crying for three or four months you know they're monsters why haven't they sacrificed that kid to ball yet <laughs> so yeah, the rich so, people would buy the kids so just like today you know the elites would go out and they would buy children from poor people but for them, uh, they didn't care. You know, Ball doesn't care where the kid. 
concept again of getting rid of like the problematic children uh just because they've got some kind of developmental issue because again you would if they know if if the neighbors all saw that you were keeping you know this kid with developmental issues around it was almost like you were fostering a monster or you were like helping you know um perpetuate evil and like imperfectness into the world and it was almost like a bad omen so you would start getting that evil eye from all the neighbors if you kept walking around with your kid as they were crying all the time so that was a sort of a practical aspect to it which i think added to how popular the child sacrifice kind of became because it was almost like annual garbage day for for babies in a, in a sick you know very frank way and you might as well do it for a reason like oh we can't just go around killing our babies because we can't afford to feed them during a harsh winter let's sacrifice them to something that will maybe make us not have a harsh winter that's it i mean that's that's essentially if you just had to like wrap all the research up like we can go home now that's kind of the <laughs> ultimate premise and and modern day it's you know we're so rich that if we sacrifice kids then we can keep getting richer or you know if you're on that that precipice and we're going to go into conspiracy theory land now instead of like historical biblical land but it's that um i want to i don't want to join the 27 club but i want to join you know like the rich hollywood sort of pop culture club there might be that that same premise where it might not be like you're literally buying a baby and sacrificing it although that also might be part of it but there's probably other things where, you know, just general magical thinking where I have to give a little to get a little. That's kind of at the root of all of this. So people do it in different degrees. This is like the the most sort of offensive, most potent blood magic, you know, blood magic version of it would be sacrificing a baby. So that's, I where, that's where it starts. Thought, but to tie it all into everything else going on, too, uh, is a fetus being somehow tortured does that have an energy because we all know these clinics all across uh the country and that's very expensive like they sell everything that they get rid of quote unquote for abortions so also ladies giving birth like their fluid in between their umbilical cords is this highly expensive liquid on the planet so if fearing something or getting its adrenaline to spike in some way looshing it this is this whole other word that seems to be out could we do this to something in utero and could we take that little nugget and would that be valuable to us somehow <laughs> a little nugget <laughs> i mean a we're chicken nugget we're no dovetailing a little into like, the, the Project Monarch again, because Project Monarch, according to Fritz Springmeier and, and Cisco Wheeler, um, and they've got that book called the, what is it, like the the formula on creating undetectable Illuminati mind control puppet. It's like a super long name. It's got like every keyword in it that you could hope for. But they kind of describe that the original process of creating the perfect Illuminati mind control slave it's nothing more than a series of planned traumas. And the very first of those traumas is actually poking the fetus with a long amniocentesis needle through the mother's stomach. Or, you know, somehow you actually are poking this child. And the reason why you're doing that is that you've got control. It's, you know, if I can control the first traumatic event of your life, in theory, that gives me some sort of power over you because I've orchestrated the first meaningful 
um, sort of like external stimuli that your little tiny, you know, nugget brain has been able to process. And so that's kind that of like the security first. safety of in utero womb to take away that from even the most traumatized humans have the safety of that womb usually. So to take away even the safety of that, what do you do to this being? You make it come out with its parasympathetic, sympathetic, already twitching. You already, it comes out where its cords of its human harp are already being strummed before it even comes out of the womb. And what if you do that to five or six generations or, or 10 or 12 generations? Um, can you use this process of like selective breeding and eugenics and controlled trauma to sort of over time you know breed the perfect trauma victim and again this is getting into like making that perfect illuminati mind control puppet that perfect assassin but it also might be that perfect adrenochrome um sort of crop you know this is the the this is the the 88 sort of um flavor of the rothschild you know adrenochrome and do you think in the opposite of that, like we want to create this perfect little fear battery that for we, us to drink, there has to be an opposite of that, that they also want to create a certain bloodline that's so cold hearted, so detached that that would take generations. Like it would have to be the opposite of the puppet or the battery. There would have to be the monster that wants to feed on that battery. That slowly over time. Well, well, if we re powerful. if we start rewinding the like the conspiracy and the vampirism and we start getting back into like skeptical world, then even if you don't believe in the Moloch worship and the ball worship and being able to, you know, absorb powers and have supernatural abilities, again we go back into that that uh, dementia precox research that says even if you're the Queen of England, even if you're like the richest person on even if Jeff Bezos starts to develop dementia as you know as far as we know as as like you know bumpkins down here on like the the first or second level there's still no solution no fix to dementia but there could be and if there is that could kind of be the ultimate reason for adrenochrome research or what we're right now lumping into adrenochrome and child sacrifice and all of like the the black magic hoodoo there could very much be an atheistic secular version out there where people are legitimately harvesting babies and legitimately harvesting blood of healthy or schizophrenia patients and trying to use that to prevent themselves from going crazy or to make other people go crazy or just again like having control over someone else's mental state is an immense amount of power or if we just wanted a little flock of crazy blood to drink and we figured out in like the 30s, like around like shit, if we could cause a Great Depression, then they might start eating all their foods out of cans. And if they eat all their foods out of the cans, this will cause this really light amount of dementia. And then we'll have this like flock of blood. And that eventually doesn't work. And so they roll into like the 50s and 60s and they're like, shit, we can LSD them. We can get them to take the LSD and spin themselves around in concerts and then drink their blood. Like, I think it's just been like uh, grades of trying to produce the perfect nut milk. <laughs> and, when, and when you say that too, right, like, like get all these, um, these hippies to take a bunch of drugs and then we'll get the blood from them. It reminds me as you say that of like the origins of reindeer and the origins of Santa Claus where the shaman were the ones that knew to pick the Amanita muscaria mushrooms 
But if you just ate it directly, it had all these other toxins in it that again, you know, adrenaline oxidizes and turns into adrenochrome. When you eat the Amanita muscaria and your body oxidizes and breaks down the components in that. And that like one of those things that gets created is a psychedelic. And they found out that if you then drank the urine of either a reindeer or another shaman that had ingested this mushroom, now you get to drink, you, you know, you drink that urine as great as that sounds, but you don't have to worry about the toxins because the toxins have already been filtered out by the first person that took it. So now you can just keep drinking, like keep, like I take a sip, I pee it out, I give it to the guy next to me, you know, he drinks it, he trips out, he pees, like you can almost keep passing it around um, in that same sort of way. And that's, that's the exact same principle of like oxidizing it and breaking it down and you know, pure. And this is where the drinking the urine even probably comes from for people that they can't get through their head of like all other ways that they're like, I don't know, maybe I can drink my pee. No, it probably all stems through this little Santa Claus reindeer mushroom magical journey. But in the same adrenaline way of like schizophrenia, are we all not dealing with realms of schizophrenia when we're on some kind of psychedelic? Are we all not on this, like, when you look up what the scientific definition of schizophrenia is, isn't that kind of what you're up to when you're in this realm? So if I could get a bunch of kids to do it, uh, how perfect. Well, and we're essentially, we're just talking about chemical imbalance because like, like you just mentioned, like we all have um, these chemicals in our system. It's just the ratios of them, which kind of determine sort of your mental state. So when you actually, when you hit me up today, I was, I was super deep in like a whole new branch of this. Cause there's another little, like a, I'm going to go back to my list of, of the, um, the common themes here. Cause it, they sound so unrelated, but I promise that they are so very related. So we're, we're talking we're going to get out of the, the child sacrifice and eugenics and everything for now, we'll, we'll get back into it for now. <laughs> You've got the secret societies and the elite. This one's a little bit self-explanatory, but again, it was like the the high elites that were going and doing a lot of this sacrifice because they kind of represented the people they it wasn't the same as having like a pope be your only direct communication with god but it was sort of on that same level it was like those guys that are rich and have all the resources we'll let them go and talk to you know the bullheaded statue for us um but also these secret societies and the elite and this moloch and ball thing I'm going to I'm going to talk right now just about like the Canaanite version of Moloch or Baal. At this point, they had developed this child sacrifice ritual to such a specific um so, almost like a science to where there was a couple like technological innovations that they made just to facilitate the process of sacrificing children. One of them was they they devised an entire system of gears so that like the the statue would have its arms out and the first version is the arms were kind of tilted downwards like this so if you put the baby in the the hands the baby would just kind of roll right down the arm and then into like this big furnace in the center and that's how you would do the sacrifice you just put your kid up there and just by putting them in the hands they'd kind of like tumble down and be sacrificed another iteration of this one that came a little bit later was that they devise a system of pulleys and levers and gears to where if you put the child in the hands, they, they would get depressed and it would um, trigger this mechanical motion where the hands would then come up and put the baby into its mouth. And then it would actually go into that same kind of fiery furnace. But this time through this big dramatic playing out of the God, literally putting the baby into its mouth. 
And then further, they had, um, even into medieval times, they had something called like the brazen bull. And essentially, it was creating the inside of this bull uh, character so that the acoustics would take the screaming of a child and make it sound like this deep roaring of a bull. So they actually, this this Moloch and Baal uh, worship, again, it got to such a specific height that they were creating like art installations and like there was like an Elon Musk of technology that was like, we're going to make a bull that can actually do, you know, do the hand and make the noise. Like it's going to be great. And they actually developed all of this. So it, it got to such a proficient level um, that it wasn't just, um, you know, like our ancestors with spears anymore doing crazy stuff. They had actually developed like an entire ritual around it. And then here's where we, it's, And uh, altered states and in insanity. We've kind of covered that in this dementia pre. Altered state and insanity is you can almost think of enlightenment. Like the difference between being crazy and schizophrenic and claiming that you've had some kind of epiphany or enlightenment, or you're like talking to God. Um, there seems to be like a very small line in between those two. And this dovetails into the pineal gland. And the reason it dovetails in the pineal gland is because this is where um, Rene Descartes basically said this is the seat of the soul. He, he confidently believed that the soul wasn't dispersed throughout your entire body. The soul had one very specific place that it lived inside of your body. And then it could detach itself and leave and it could come back. Um, and he, he did all these long series experiments, but essentially it came down to where he mentioned that if you chopped off someone's arm, they had that phantom arm feeling still, and they could still feel pain, but they also had all of their faculties. So if you chopped off both of their arms, it's not like all of a sudden their soul or their conscience is 20% less of what it used mm. to be. So they kind of, you know, continued that thought experiment. It was like, if I could chop off all your limbs, if I could, if I could remove a hundred percent of your mental faculties so therefore they're like it has to be somewhere in the head somewhere in the brain that's where the soul also has to reside and then there was one other one where he mentioned that if you did um if you started like losing sensation or if you went blind this was a good example if i gave you a stick and you use that stick to feel around and you can tap it on the ground and you can still tell the difference between concrete and soil and you can kind of figure out and like make a mental image of what you're feeling. Well, that stick is no more part of you than your arm was because they're both kind of serving the same function. You reach out, you get some kind of sensory input and you process it. So based on these sort of like his theories, he, he said that the soul cannot live in the body. It has to live in the head, in the brain. And he singles out the pineal gland out of all the places that it could be. That is so interesting. Because you see the symbology of the pineal gland throughout every religion, everywhere. Um, and I even just think of the pineapple of it all. And uh, okay. you said the fountain of youth earlier. And to bring it back to Florida again, we have all the representation of all this stuff that we're, whatever part of human history you kind of want to talk about, it's all represented right here in Florida. And I always, with the adrenochrome, always wonder if somewhere melanin is somewhere mixed in. It is. It? Oh. it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I can get high off youth, can I get extra high off youth and sunshine? <laughs> so, so actually, I'm glad you brought it because the whole reason why pineal gland 
sort of dovetails into adrenochrome is because they all operate in the same system. Um, so like the way that adre- the adrenaline is produced, your your adrenal glands kind of work in tandem with your pineal gland, your pituitary glands. They're in this system that's kind of spread out through your body, but they, they all work like together in ways. And because of them sort of working in, in similar systems and helping produce things, um, the I think it's interesting too. These glands that we keep talking about, one of the ways in the whole gaslighting and the whole, uh, the new words, the new lingo that we all have is we have the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, um, that they give to these words when your adrenaline spikes, that you're one of these people that you either fight or flight or freeze or fawn. And I'm like, is that the sixth letter of the alphabet? Because they do love to 666 us <laughs> when it comes to our fear. <laughs> and and there might be some more too that like that no one knows about, right? Out of those four options, there's like the secret cheat code versions too that only certain people know the, like which buttons to push to get those particular results. Um, do the elite know that? <laughs> uh well so so this this guy Rene Descartes talking about the pineal gland and being the seat of the soul that goes on a whole big philosophical tangent but I want to show this again this this is where you uh hit me up today I was right in the middle of some stuff um I found this really old book and I'm, I was started walking backwards essentially from the the 1600 the 1700s uh where are we Okay. 76. Interesting year, by the way. <laughs> there was a, a book um, that was published to this guy named Francis Hopkins. And Francis Hopkins just kind of like write down all sorts of weird um, anecdotes and things that happened to him in his life in these collections of journals. And I'm and don't ask me how, but I'm reading through this guy's journals from the year, you know, 1776 or whatever. And here's this quote, and the and I'm gonna read the quote, and then I'm gonna show you the sources, and and again think of adrenal glands and and uh, pine, adrenochrome, pineal glands, and philosophy. So he says, I accidentally opened the 35th number of the Guardian, wherein a correspondent informs the author that some learned men, I'm gonna say that's that's there's your elite secret society. Some learned men have determined the pineal gland to be chief seat of the soul's residence. He had procured from a great philosopher a box of snuff, which had this remarkable property that a pinch of it duly administered would so affect his pineal gland as to enable his soul to leave her residence for a while, enter that of any other person where she in a moment become acquainted with all of that stranger's ideas, knowledge, pursuits, and mere intuition. So here's this idea that I can snort some drug let my soul leave my pineal gland, jump into someone else's pineal offer, get like a full like holographic download of that person, and then it comes back, and now you've got all the information that they previously had. And again, mm-hmm. this is from 1776, and we're going to start rewinding this back to over 100 years where this story that he's talking about from the 35th number of The Guardian, this is 100 years ago. Huh. This is so skull and bones where uh, they just thought if you got the skull of somebody, you could retain the information like a lot of ancient tribes uh, seem to about or, or even Florida tribes. They uh, had their um, 
they believed their uh, old was kind of like grown into the roots of a tree and then they would sit under a family tree and could get like magical downloads. Um, I was wondering if somewhere that family tree idea of it growing around your old would somehow link to the walnut sauce or if that's the only pineal gland reference to uh, also the adrenochrome. Honestly, I'm I'm still not sure what the walnut sauce. I've got I've got some notes on it, but I haven't figured out. Like I know it's like a code or whatever in, in the Pizzagate file, um, sort of like mythology, but I haven't figured out that particular sort of I like representation. Was just looking, you know, so much of the stuff that in all the deleted accounts um of the last few years, so much stuff I just thought once I put it online it would be there forever so I could free up space on my own hard drives. Like it's not the, right. It goes you know, the naivete that I had when I didn't think I'd ever lose an account on Instagram. Why would they ever shadow ban my walnut sauce? Pictures? I remember when Google video was around and there was all these these long documentaries and it was like, oh I don't have to worry about getting my own copy like google video is never going away it's google you know what i mean yeah, I, i'm like this <laughs> doesn't is even fine. exist anymore i used to have all these really great old photos of people's adrenochrome kits um if you are a person that knows about drug paraphernalia there was a very elite class of people back in the 20s and 30s and whenever that they would do heroin and they would do cocaine and they would do these other mm -hmm. forms of drugs and they had really nice fancy little kits to partake in their drugs in the same way as if you walk into somebody's house and they had like crystal with their whiskey in it. Uh, there was this very specific set um, of a little kit that was for adrenochrome and it was in a walnut container and everything about it opened up and I was like oh my gosh this is the like source code of the walnut sauce to find this adrenochrome whole thing and I, now I can't find it on all my stuff but maybe I'm I'll gonna find have it to, to find be able that. to edit it in so <laughs> so you brought that up and I, I swear this this is gonna link directly to this next point here okay so I wanted to mention that um this guy was writing and he was talking about this article that he had read in something called the guardian so it took me a little while to figure out but this is the guardian that he's talking about it only existed for one year it lasted from march to october of 1713 um, and it had a bunch of heavy hitting names i'm not going to get into all the history of all these the names of the people but this is the magazine that that guy was just talking about so i found the actual article from the guardian um and here's what that article says it says I am a man who have spent a great part of the time rambling through foreign countries in which young gentlemen usually pass at the university by which course of life, although I've acquired no small insight into the manners and conversations of men. Um, so he's, I'm going to paraphrase some of this, but he's basically like, he's been around learned people. He, he prides himself on like just hearing people out. He's kind of like a Joe Rogan of 1713, right? Like, he knows a little bit of everything. Um, so he's saying here that, and again, you just mentioned the walnut box and the and the special fancy kit and the, for adrenochrome. So keep that in mind. So he says, in my return through France, as I was one day setting forth this case of that, you know, I go around and I learn stuff. A certain gentleman of that nation, France, with whom I had contracted a friendship after some pause, conducted me into his closet opening a little amber cabinet took from thence a small box of snuff which he said was given to him by an uncle of his 
the author of the voyage of Descartes, and with many professions of gratitude and affections, made it a present, telling me at the same time he knew mind with knowledge in the arts and sciences than with that same snuff rightly applied. So here we have the the original article where that guy said they said they had this special drug and these learned men could snort it and this directly affected their pineal gland. This is that article from 1713. But this guy himself is talking about sort of this like secondhand experience through the author of the voyage of the world of Descartes. So I started rewinding that back. All right. Well, if the, the article from the 1776 is talking about this article from the 1713, but 1713 is talking about a, a dude that he knew from earlier. Well, here's that earlier guy. Here is a voyage. Um, it's called a voyage to the world of Cartesius. And Cartesius is the way that this guy refers to Mansour Descartes. Um, and I'm not going to read through all of this, but essentially he's mentioning this exact same process. And he says that Rene Descartes himself had this secret that he didn't want to give up to anyone. He, um, he specifically, I don't have it highlighted, but he specifically said that he was worried it could fall into the hands of evil. Um, and that Rene Descartes himself knew about this specific drug or this thing that you could snort that would directly affect your pineal gland and give you all this information. Um, so, as far back as 1694, we've got evidence of someone doing drugs that affects their pineal gland and gives them knowledge and information that you could hope for. I never have done this attachment before, but just in my contrarian brain of time travel not being an actual physical thing, um, it just being a spiritual thing or a thing where we maybe leave our body in like a meditation, could this be what Tesla was all up to? Like, could these guys that we put in this heroic place of uh, pulling information from the ether, could we also find symbolism uh, <laughs> in their work that is like, you know, even in the modern hue of it, just since we're dropping all the words in this, just to see, because if this doesn't get kicked off YouTube, it's free game. <laughs> But in the queue of it, they never thought she'd lose. So everybody always attaches Hillary to this pizza gate and Hillary to this sacrifice. And you can look up Hillary's bloodline and all this stuff. So what if Hillary is this perfect white rabbit that she can sit down and in a cold hearted way of bloodline, take this certain amount of adrenochrome to just walk this fine line of being able to control herself and not go crazy she saw the futures and she never thought she'd lose. What if the time travel actually exists in this way? Do you think our heroes could be partaking in I a dream? Th I think I think you're a hundred percent onto something, and not just you. Um, Descartes, his entire theory of where the soul lived and why it was in the pineal gland was based on a, a woman. It was like some maid, and she had this really strange ability. I don't I don't know the details of how this happened, but essentially the experiment was that they were able to cut this lady's finger off. And she was she was astrally projecting just so far out of her body that she didn't feel it. And even when she came back, they kind of had to tell her about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess that does, you know, hurt. Okay, whatever. So he's they started, I'm simplifying this a little bit, but they started, um, Rene Descartes himself started attributing this lady that had some kind of uncanny ability to detach her soul from her, her pineal gland. And she could send it out to different countries and different regions. Um, and it could come back. 
and she would almost uh, sort of experience no time jump, but she was able to travel to a completely different country and come back and bring 11. information back from her. 11. Yeah, we're talking about the Montauk Project and Project Monarch, essentially. And this is Rene Descartes talking about this. And this was the reason why he even had the idea of the soul being different from the body and living in the brain was because of the research with this lady that was just blowing his mind. He just couldn't understand how you could just selectively check out so he was like her soul has to be leaving her body and she's leaving her entire body behind like all of the biological functions continue to work exactly as you would expect all of her senses are working but the thing that's actually like pulling the levers was gone and the way that he to preserve her own body you know like the like they could chop her finger off and she didn't like come back what's going on you know stop so she was able to selectively do this. And he was, he became obsessed with figuring out how can I do that? Can other people do that? Can we harness this ability? So I'm I'm slowly in like a in a general way, sort of pinpointing this of, of Descartes himself and snuffing this thing and the pineal gland and the soul, kind of being the origin of this adrenochrome conspiracy theory. Um, at least as it dates back to modern history that you can actually read back in science because because outside of like Moloch and Baal worship, there's a huge jump, right? Because Israel and Rome kind of like took them out. They wiped out that old Phoenician magic and it was essentially lost other than to, I guess what you'd say, like modern day Rosicrucianism and Golden Dawn. They kind of take some of those original threads and bring them back into culture today. And that's Again, like Rosicrucianism, you could say is almost like the source of modern day LeVay Satanism, which is today's, you know, bloodline Illuminati, Lady Gaga, sort of um, like a cult worship. But there's there's this meandering scarlet thread that you can tie through all of them. So so generally the the whole concept of child sacrifice and blood magic again it went out with the fall of you know the phoenician civilization the canaanites the punic religion kind of just fall out with them and never really made an appearance and in, in fact if you can think about it the the winning of israel and rome and sort of you know christianity essentially that was the main thing that eradicated the entire there was a number of different cultures, um, you know, that all kind of prescribed to this. So with the eradication of the, the Canaanites, that kind of became like the one place where you can point your finger to and say, that's kind of where the general practice of child sacrifice stopped uh, worldwide. Now, obviously, it just went underground, like all of these other um, sort of like secret societies and religions. But that was where it, it fell out of kind of popular culture so to speak in christianity is the spear of destiny cutting jesus's adrenal gl gland <laughs> i guess it could be <laughs> holy shit <laughs> i think you might be on to something i think it totally is and then you think of the whole torture you were telling me how they ripped the nails out of children um they put a crown on his head and they hang him from a cross and they nail nails through his hands and they were like how much torture can we lead this guy into and then we'll you just hang blew there. my mind cheney you fucking <laughs> blew because here's your adrenal glands okay this is essentially where they're at they're a little bit um sort of like under your 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 chest here 
here's a picture of the Spear of Destiny. Look at where they're they're poking JC. It is literally right in the adrenal gland. Like it couldn't, you know what I mean? Like if it were five inches left or right or up or down, it wouldn't be directly the adrenal gland. But sure enough, look at where that's poking them. That's really interesting. And in this way of your adrenal gland, if we're like, we're running. So let's not say this is a spear now. Let's say this is a straw of some sort. Let's say this is an actual tube that we could stick in an adrenal gland and it ran the blood or this weird brownie color, rusty liquid into some kind of container. Does this change an entire idea of what Jesus's blood um is in maybe what they're running with like it's well, bigger than dna <laughs> well i've i've got a side theory on this that 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 uh ties into it where i i really do think that jesus was a mushroom and that the pope's a mushroom and santa's a mushroom i earnestly think that going back the origin of philosophy and culture and you know almost everything that we have that we hold dear is essentially psychedelics um so as you're saying you know you poke the spear of destiny and the Jesus and his blood runs down and this concept of a adrenochrome being from like the blood of a schizophrenia or a crazy person. And if I drink a crazy person's blood, then I can experience that. Well, what if Jesus kind of like that Siberian shaman, um, he had some sort of psychedelic uh, quantity or, you know, quality to his blood. So they stick the spear of destiny in and they drink Jesus. Maybe Jesus is tripping on mushrooms here. And just like the, the Siberian shaman drinking his buddy's urine, you know, you've got Punch's Pilot or whoever else is collecting this blood and drinking the blood. Or uh, there's also the St. I think it's the St. Christopher's Cross or it might be the St. Andrew's Cross. I can't remember what one is the X. Uh, but if we had certain men that we were doing this to or certain... Let's say we were contouring our wine uh, and we were drinking humans. Would we mark it with the X? Uh, so like Florida or this Haitian idea of melanin or uh, Australian idea of the Queen's X different than um, the Dixie flag X. Like, is there this torture mark they're kind of putting on us, this mark uh, that they've been using for a whole long period of time, and then you were also call it a logo, <laughs> yeah. And then you were also saying this woman uh, throughout that was used somewhere in history that she would be able to drink the blood and have her finger cut off because she was able to walk this fine line. Do we have this redhead in Mary Magdalene that's standing right next to? jesus at the time like are they kind of giving us this representation of these two marys this mother this womb uh and then this potentially other womb of him but also there's just these two women if you separate it from him that are drinking the adrenochrome because they can walk this fine line but you have this three-day journey that has to be in there somewhere too uh before resurrection I mean, the, the symbolism is is the hardest part for me to start connecting it all because at a certain point, like, what, are we just going to reinterpret the entire Bible, you know, <laughs> line for line and, and pull all the correlations? But there's 100% chance the spear of destiny and the adrenal gland is going to make it into into my, my research now because I can't <laughs> stop thinking about that particular little thread that you just pulled on. Well, and it will go on to shows later on, but if... 
I think there's this masculine obsession idea, like the number one idea of Baphomet to me would be if I were a man that were in full, no matter how much money in the world, no matter how much power in the world, unless I can Frankenstein and create life, I'm not all the man. Like I'm not God unless I can also create life too. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're starting to get into homunculus. Uh, yeah. Territory. So there is these ideas of, is there this perfect concoction throughout time, the perfect womb, the perfect eyes, the perfect ears, the perfect nose. Like, uh, can I create the perfect homunculus? Can I create the perfect man or woman or whatever being like to become God myself? You can only be God if you're creating something. You're right. Well, and and there's a there's a a more sort of abstract version of that that um, you can become God by naming things that only a superior being can name other beings. So that that's one of the reasons why we don't know the name of God because if you were able to actually give him a name or say his name, that that would put you on the same level as God, which we're not. And that's that's just an interesting kind of like thought experiment theory. Huh? Um, yeah, a different birth, a different so, energetic birth. So we're we're talking about. Uh, Jesus being a mushroom and drinking the blood and, and essentially it's it's the blood being some kind of a drug and the, again adrenochrome in 1930s it finally gets a name but this this drug property this mystical supernatural property of the thing that's in blood that gives you all of these powers that essentially becomes adrenochrome but but there's this meandering path right so in 1650 they're talking about the pineal gland and the soul and being able to like inherit knowledge there was another, um, there, there's these two threads that are happening at the same time. And at a certain point, they both kind of combine. So one of those is this guy called um, Joseph Priestley. And uh, Joseph Priestley, I don't have his picture up here, but he's a friend of Benjamin Franklin. He's got like all sorts of credentials, but... The interesting part Fuck is you, that ben he's, Franklin. he's the... <laughs> <laughs> So Priestley is the first person to synthesize nitrous oxide. This is 1772. Why does this matter? Well, because for whatever reason, he discovers how to synthesize it. And the very next person that actually starts using it is this guy, Sir Humphrey Davy. And Sir Humphrey Davy, this is um, about 20 years later. And this is an interesting part that I, I want to like focus on and just kind of like um, have fun with for a second. You see this name, right? Sir Humphrey Davy. And, oh, he discovered nitrous oxide and he did all of these scientific experiments. The first time I come across these names and I'm reading about this, I imagine this like high echelon of society, a guy that's like very well put together and, you know, walking around with the elites and like, you know, just like this very learned man. Well, really, at this point, he's like a 19 year old college kid that just discovers how to make nitrous oxide. And he brings it back to his dorm room and he tells his, his dorm roommate, hey, dude, check this out. And he you know, makes some nitrous oxide and they start huffing it and they're just laughing and they're falling over. So, again, like there's this like prestigious Sir Humphrey Davy, the guy that, you know, found. Well, what he really did was a 19 year old college kid that figured out how to get super high and was just having a blast with it. And he almost takes this this experience of getting high off of nitrous oxide and and it doesn't become his soul life's work because a lot of these people were kind of renaissance you know people but this becomes like a very defining point in time where he discovers this nitrous oxide and the reason why it's it ties into all this is because unlike opium and unlike a lot of the other sort of 
drugs that were known at this time, nitrous oxide, he thought, gave him this this uh, window into like a philosophical realm where he could go to this place and get all of these great epiphanies um, and, and kind of like the stories of like LSD. I, I think of like the, you mentioned DNA before, the guys that came up with the double helix strand model, they kind of attributed that to like an LSD trip. So like taking this drug and getting this epiphany, getting this idea that you got to draw directly from the Akashic records you know what I mean? Like that could be the ticket. So maybe it's LSD, maybe it's adrenochrome, but the end result is that you get a library card to the Akashic records and you get to take out this crazy knowledge. And you mentioned Tesla. Uh, maybe, maybe they they knew ways that they could make a withdrawal from that library. And that's what gave them all of this extra information and insight. It would and again, be. And if you could have, like you think of certain uh, famous families throughout time, they're usually, if they're not famous themselves with schizophrenia, there's somebody in their family that um, was famous for schizophrenia that you almost wonder what kind of tests were being done because you hear about firstborn sacrifice, um, but then you also hear about the firstborn being like crazy schizophrenic, like a JFK's sister. Uh, that they end up in an insane asylum, that you wonder what kind of stuff. And then if you found out this amount of stuff, you're in this elite family and it would be easier to take your own kin's blood than it would be somebody else's. We know that all blood don't mix. So I wonder if all adrenochrome don't mix, like, oh, if I'm an O blood type, is it better if I take O adrenochrome or is that's where the melanin comes in, that it's an easier walkthrough for me? There must be some kind of high on it. So th these are like my checklist of questions. I'm not even sure how I can get the answers to all of that, <laughs> but I'm, I've, I've got the exact same questions as you, 100% on that. So to walk it into, um, we kind of know that they're they're experimenting on rabbits and they're kind of experimenting on kids and they're doing these kind of sacrifices and maybe they're realizing that schizophrenics are getting them a little higher. Um, are there different animals? Are there different people? And now, is there different experiments we're going to do where maybe we would frazzle drip them? Like, are we figuring out a perfect technique that could we rip their flesh off their face in front of them because that's going to keep them alive for this certain amount of time? And if I put their flesh on my face in front of them, is that the most amount of fear I can give them? <laughs> Uh, I might have to show a little comic that I've been working on that that kind of gets into some of that visually. So, but it, when you're talking about taking the face off and putting the face on in front of them, again, I think that this could very much tie back into that same concept of tears equals rain. We're essentially sacrificing these things up to these pagan gods of fertility, and a, again, this theme of like the storm god, the weather god, the rain god. Um, the fact that I'm sacrificing this child to the rain god, I want those tears to represent that rain. So I think, in my mind, that whole idea of frazzle drip and torturing a kid and cutting the face off and putting it on, it's really that same principle of of if I want this sacrifice to be worth 100% of the sacrifice and I want my full returns, then you have to, like, you know, you have to prepare it properly. And part of that preparation is torture and crying and and elevating that that system of fear do you think there would also be an elevating that system of fear in some way that we're sacrificing to gods that we'd put stuff in the zeitgeist ahead of time 
to make it scary for our ritual later on. So in the earliest form of the zeitgeist, we have like the minotaur and the maze. But in nowadays, we might have it and a clown in a sewer system. But it's all just different levels of mazes with different monsters chasing us. And what a perfect analogy, too, because the original uh, concept of the Minotaur came from, you know, the Minot people, which was uh, the Minoan. Um, and the Minoans, they kind of like this, the same exact ball and Moloch worship that were happening and uh, with by the Phoenicians, that same exact worship made its way uh, to the Minoan culture. And that's kind of where they got the Minotaur. And that's why they literally elite families would put their children into this labyrinth as their sacrifice onto the bull god. Well, that's the exact same fertility bull god as Moloch and as Baal. And, and we're going to get into some of the ancient history stuff too. I want to I want to finish a thread on the Even nitrous Baal, oxide. you saying it today, made me, I don't know why I never thought, oh, a ball earth. That's why they want us on a ball. And I'm not a flat earther, but now I'm like, oh, basketball, baseball, like all these sports um, conspiracies that I dig into all the time that I'm like, are for shows for a later date just for my male audience so I can walk my lady audience to realize <laughs> these things also have tons of conspiracy in them. Um, sports <laughs> yeah like the diamond of baseball uh i i just think it's so interesting that i'm like gosh the ball everywhere well, uh, is since you brought up the ball everywhere i want to this is a tangent that i, I recently learned so to me it was mind-blowing because i mean i've been looking into this stuff for a while but it, it came to the point where i was like i want to know everything i can about this moloch and this ball worship because a the names were are so interchangeable. Like whenever Ball comes up, Mala comes up, and vice versa. So one of my main questions was: Is it the same deity? Is it the same god? Or are they two different gods? Or is it just the concept of like Sumerians and Phoenicians, or you know, like the Greeks and the Romans? Is it just two different names? So one of the things that started to blow my mind is that Moloch is essentially only mentioned in in that spelling and in that context of sacrificing your child to this big bull it's only really mentioned in the bible and there's a good chance that it was sort of a miss a misinterpretation for a couple reasons one is that moloch um, m-o-l-e-c-h or m-o-l-o-c-h is kind of how you see it today if someone mentions moloch m-e-l-e-k malek or m-a-l-i-k which both meant king um, and then also there was a specific set of rituals that the Phoenicians would do, and they were called mulk rituals, MLK. And depending on how you pronounced mulk or mulk or mulk, um, they actually changed the type of sacrifice that was being made. And some of these specific pronunciations are sort of lost to history a little bit. But what happens is that the concept of mulk, which was sacrifice, there was a very particular kind, which was child sacrifice. And that that word, mulk, kind of became like this taboo, like, oh, they're doing that mulk again. Um, then you also had this concept of malek or maluk, which meant like king. And the, the way that the pagan gods and, and like it's my city versus your city's god and they're always fighting and everything. So... The city one, you know, in one generation might be ruled by one particular pagan god. And then the next generation, it's a different pagan god. Uh, but essentially, they all just kind of represented like the god of that city. So over time, kind of like we just call it god or lord or whatever, um, they just started referring to Moloch, uh, you know, the king word, Molech. 
and uh, as just like the god of the city. So it just meant god. It didn't actually say like which god because there was a whole bunch of gods they could be talking about. It was just the god of the city. Huh, it's even in the Molech and in Mulk. the like Baphomet of it all. Uh it's like um even you saying Moloch, Molech, it's like luck be a lady or my lady. It's like luck be a lady tonight. And it gives me this like, oh, that's Baphometing. It's like making the king a lady. Is that the androgynous sort of uh, alchemy? And yeah. And so so Putting my skeptic hat on again, I think one of my biggest pet peeves um, that that I've gotten over now because of this research in particular was that like just linking words together like, oh, this word sounds like that (laughs) word that therefore they must be connected. I used to roll my my eyes so hard at those, you know, kind of connections um, to the point of like almost, you know, just dismissing it and almost like making fun of it. But this this research specifically with Moloch and Ball completely changed my mind on a lot of this. Also, like Ball um, and Bull, that might not be such a coincidence, even though Bull is English and Ball uh, has evolved through multiple different titles. And so, so Moloch, I think I've explained a little bit that Moloch never really represented a specific god. It just meant the god of a particular city combined with Molk, which was that sacrifice ritual. So over time... As I mentioned, um, like the, the Canaanite main capital city was bigger at its peak than Rome was at its peak. Not the whole entire empire, but the, the actual capital city. So you've got this massive city that happens to be using this uh, this bull god as their city god, and they're doing these ritual sacrifices to it. So this is kind of where that, that word of Moloch came from. It really just meant a god. But over time and through the Bible, Moloch almost becomes like the name of this god. So how does this relate to Baal? Well, Baal has almost the exact same story. Instead of being uh, the word for king, Baal meant the word for lord or owner. And in fact, the lowercase version of Baal would be like, that that's Cheney's cup. Cheney's the ball of that cup. Like that's that's pretty much the way yeah. that it would be referred to. But if you capitalized it, now it's like saying like the big owner, you know, the, the big ruler. So the word ball, again, never meant a very specific God. It just meant like God in general. And the original God it really used to stand for was Hadad or Baal Hammon. And he was the, the prototypal Satan pan, the, the goat headed God, the one that had the two horns. He had cloven hoofs. The whole nine. This this is the prototype for everything that comes after it. All the bull worship, the ball, the Moloch. It comes after this ball, um, Hammond guy. So so these two words, that was the, the first thing. It was like, oh, wow. So ball and Moloch are both the same and also not the same in that it's all just like this big catch-all word that represents the original goat-headed, you know, two-horned god that... You can point to a million different sort of uh, cultures and religions. It's it's the same one. That's what Baal and that's what Moloch really is. It's worshiping and sacrificing to the pagan god of storm and weather and rain. It's the same one across all I cultures. I even see this in this moment of bull fighting and, you know, Chicago bulls. We could go into all the, like, symbology around bull, 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 bull. But in the bull fighting, how I'm a matador, I'm standing in front of a bull. So here's a whole bunch of fear. Here's a whole bunch of adrenaline. Here's a whole bunch of this. And right before it, I have a red cape that I rip up 
<laughs> just I and I wonder where the, the adrenal <laughs> gland is on a bowl in relation to where the matador usually tries to poke it. first. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that. Maybe they're like sort of like the actual origins of these rituals get lost over time, but the rituals themselves stay the same. Maybe there is not just like that mythical of of killing the bull and sacrificing it, but maybe like the spirit destiny. They were actually milking the adrenal gland of the bull who knows I, I, I don't, that's a nice if, tangent yeah if you're so good at it if you're the perfect matador and you're so good at it in this like ferdinand type way and then if i nail it perfectly because they want the matador to win and the bull falls and he's draining blood all over the arena all of the audience stands up and throws down roses i'm gonna have to go on a tangent and find out exactly where the the adrenal gl glands are in a bowl and figure out this is that's such a fun tangent <laughs> It's so, so interesting, too, because even in the eugenics, they always go back to the cow and the bull and the womb of that and how you could put a human inside uh, the belly of a cow and maybe get it to gestate for a certain amount of time. Uh, so so I want to skip to some more adrenochrome research and then get into some of like the pop culture and the conspiracy theory stuff, sounds um, good. because you kept mentioning animals. So... Uh, I'm I'm starting to collect a full list of every different type of animal that Adrenochrome specifically was tested on and all the different results. So we've got fish, <laughs> we've got pigeons, we've got spiders, we've got plants and fungi, mice, rabbits, cats, dogs, monkeys, and then finally humans. Um, out of all these, the interesting ones to me, one is the spiders. Um, and the reason why the spiders are interesting is I don't, at least I remember growing up in like the old sort of film reels they used to show us on, on drugs and like the don't do drugs reels. One of them was these spiders and how spiders on LSD and, and mescaline and these other drugs, they would show how they would create their webs. Um, it's like this really famous set of photographs. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I can maybe look it up. I know exactly I what you're talking about. You can look it up if you want to though. So yeah, so so here's these different examples of how the spiders would create their webs on different drugs. So here's marijuana, benzedrine. It's been done a few different times. Well, one of those original studies where they tested the spider webs, they also involved adrenochrome in the, the research there. Um, a lot of people don't know that because usually it's LSD and marijuana and the other ones that get all the focus. Um, but this was one of the first adrenochrome sort of experiments on animals which i found really interesting this is 1954 and the, specifically it was the the zilla ex notata um spider and it was the only spider they could find that happened to be very sensitive to adrenochrome a lot of the other ones just didn't happen to so this is also one of the reasons why that spider is so interesting the one that did all the little lsd webs the reason why that particular spider was picked was because of its sensitivity to adrenochrome. So that was an interesting one. Um, and then the pigeon one is kind of a sad one. And we're, we're going to skip to the rabbit too. But the... The Zilla the, spider. I think it's so interesting. Back to the ball and the Godzilla of it all. And they... And um, here too, we've got... Um, the basis of schizophrenia, young speculated as toxin X... So he was actually had his own sort of theories that that related to adrenochrome, which is kind of interesting that Young interacted with adrenochrome research at some level in the 50s. And that it's going to be labeled with X because 
for whatever reason, I notice that they like the X generation. They like SpaceX. They like X marks the spot. They like to X Christmas off. They like to X Tina. They want to give us our mark, which a check is the same as an X. It just allows our rations as slaves. So I just think that's curious that it would just be toxin X and not like toxin A or B. I mean, we're we're playing jazz here. So like the X, I've always felt an affinity or at least like a link to it because, you know, my name starts with a T and the lowercase T is essentially a cross or an X. Um, so like the whole concept of like the, the cross being represented as that little X in the circle or the little plus in the circle, it's sort of always been that same concept and not not just the lowercase T being a cross or an X, but the uppercase T being the tau cross which was like the prototypal version of the the X or the crucifix as we see it. So that it all does tie in. And I probably I know, isn't it funny too? Even in the Elon Musk of it all, of the Tesla logo being that uppercase T, and then you have a SpaceX logo being that lowercase T. He likes and, it too. And that uppercase T is also kind of represented as like a bullhead. Uh, sometimes it's like a very simple uh, gesture totally. of it, and and T for Taurus. Um, you know, Tor, Minotaur, that's, that is the root of bull. So there's, a, there's a lot of links. And when you get, and then we see him in that language, outfit, just at um, Halloween <laughs> with his, with his bull on his chest. <laughs> he was just missing like all sorts of like, just ball, like just the name ball across <laughs> yeah. the chest that would have been a little well, too on the nose. He does. It would be ball on Musk, but he, instead of going with ball on Musk, he went with Elon Musk, <laughs> the Babylonian God. <laughs> and we're we're playing with names here too. So um I, I don't want to skip this one by. 1933, there was a study by Ball and Chen <laughs> on adrenochrome <laughs> research. Uh this one, it was just like how fun is that? So um again, that they were they were mixing silver oxide with adrenaline. So this was them finding adrenochrome. Finding adrenochrome because he named it these might have been the, the first guys that did it in a laboratory intentionally and not just playing around with rabbit guts you know what i mean these guys were thought they were doing something scientific and it happened to be ball um that discovers adrenochrome so i thought that was interesting it would be like uh cue the social distortion <laughs> ball and chin <laughs> Is so it let's social see, distortion? Uh... i think they sing that song <laughs> So the yeah the the rabbit um experiments were actually not that noteworthy outside of the fact that rabbits is where adrenochrome was first found. Um, all the other experiments, the um, the pigeon one was kind of the saddest, and what they found was was really interesting is because they had these different mating um habits where they would take a male pigeon and a female pigeon specifically when they were like getting ready to mate. And the female or the male would either become very aggressive. So they would take like another male and put it in there and see what happens if like one gets cuckolded or whatever, you know. Um, and then they put adrenochrome into the male that was like the alpha. And they realized by adding adrenochrome to this pigeon, it just became docile. It would let the other male pigeon come in and have its way with its its mate. And it didn't even care. And it just became completely apathetic to everything. And then once the adrenochrome wore off, now all of a sudden it became interested again. It, it regained its sort of aggression and it started fighting for territory. And then again, once they upped the adrenochrome, it went back into this docile mode and just kind of let things happen all around it. 
Um, and unfortunately, the way they were doing these experiments, they'd like give it a little bit and then let it wean off, and then give it a whole lot more and let it wean off. And it would just keep escalating until they would give these animals fatal doses of adrenochrome. So then you read about like what happens when you get a fatal overdose of adrenochrome and it's it doesn't seem fun. Is that where like the guru starts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it ties into the same concept, but in my mind, they're they're totally separate. Like the the e and adrenochrome, but again, that's why I started on the most common theme is vampirism and cannibalism, because at the heart of that is that if I eat the brain of my dead ancestor, I get to inherit their knowledge. Um, there's a there's another scientific tangent on this. Have you ever heard of the flatworm experiment no. where the dude feeds worms to each other's? Uh -uh. So, okay. So this is such a, a crazy one. Um, what's the guy's name? It's uh, right here. His name's James V. McConnell. An interesting side note is that he was actually one of the, the people that was at Bikini Atoll in 1946, um, Operation Crossroads, and saw some of Side note on this guy, but later on in life, um, but he develops on the idea. And essentially, I'm going to summarize this whole thing because it's like a long one. You're, you're that, muted. Oh, that part cut out a little. Will you say it one more time? That uh, about the he, dude? He, he, um, he builds on research concerning engrams. And engram is essentially if you were to think that your brain is made up of these different connections and that's what your memories and your knowledge, it's really just these connections between the neurons. Well, that connection itself, this engram is theorized as a physical thing. It's a physical, like I can go into your brain and take that engram with like, I mean, not with my fingers, but you know, with like <laughs> a little, little tweezers or something. I could potentially take the engram that tells you what your name is and physically remove it from your brain so that you no longer have that connection. But then if I take that connection, now that makes its way into my brain and it makes the same connection that it used to make in your brain. So I've just like taken knowledge from your head. Now that sounds wacky, right? Yeah. Sounds like, okay, sure. 1940s zombie movie or whatever. I've watched magicians do this in the last month on the street to people where they're like, tell me what your name is. And they're walking with their family and they're like, and they're like, come on, you know your name. I took yeah. it right out of your head. And <laughs> then they put it back in their head. And I mean, it's just some form of hypnotism, I think. But it's so curious. Yeah, I, I think I've called I've, like the Russian scam. There's a guy named Darren Brown who's um, a mentalist. And he does that. He'll go up to people. And the, and the trick essentially is that you occupy them or overwhelm them with like other external stimuli so that you can just ask someone. He literally is like... Uh, yeah, yeah, like, where's where's this bridge? What's your name? How long have you been here? Give me your watch. Give me your phone. Uh, give me your wallet. Uh, how, how much longer until lunch? And, like, you're overwhelmed with all these different questions that those three that he sneaks in about, give me your watch, give me your wallet. You're just like, oh, yeah, and you're, like, handing it off to him because you're trying to figure out this other stuff. But so, separate tangent. But so this engram idea is that there's a physical thing in your brain that represents your knowledge. And this guy, James McConnell... He takes this to an extreme because he, he finds a flatworm and this flatworm, what's interesting about it is that he's, they're able to train these flatworms so that essentially they have like 
a little screen they put them on and they're they're floating around in this little liquid and under them on half of the screen is like light from behind it's almost like like a tracing table or something every time these little tiny flatworms um sort of move towards the light once they hit the light he administers like a shock so you get like an electrical shock so it's like don't do that you know what i mean like he keeps like torturing them so that over time they actually learn don't go to the white light they all stay into the dark um, side of this table the entire time and he's able to prove that he's actually training these little flatworms to avoid light because then they just start doing it on their own without having to get shocked so the next evolution of this is he's reading a magazine and there's like a magazine advertisement and it's got like 1950s magazine ad all natural pomade and who's using like the off-brand and he's looking at this and he and he has this thought as looking at these two uh twin children if i cut a worm in half <laughs> because these particular worms are known if you cut them in half they regenerate both they essentially like clone themselves if i teach this worm to avoid the light then i cut the worm in half do both of those new halves have that knowledge and if so then that means that there might be something to like a physical connection like a like a biological substance that represents knowledge and information and sure enough he cuts the worm in half and both halves of the worm are smart enough to avoid the light so that that alone is a little bit crazy but it's like okay you can train your dog to sit right by giving him a treat it's not too much different than this here's where it gets crazy is these worms are also cannibalistic so he thinks okay what if i take a worm it doesn't know anything about the light. It's never been trained. I take a, a worm that has known about the light. If I feed that worm, you know, worm B that knows about it to worm A that doesn't know about it, what happens? Well, shockingly, after he feeds worm B to worm A, worm A knows to avoid the light. Even never been trained to do this before. So then he starts thinking like, okay, this is a little bit crazy. What if I only feed half of a worm to worm A? What if I only feed like a fifth of a worm to worm A? And, and according to this guy's research, Jay McConnell, he's able to draw this correlation that the more of these flatworms that I trained that I feed to the flatworm that I didn't train, the more it retains some of that knowledge. So you, we kind of joke about Kuru and eating brains and stuff, but there there is a very real correlation in theory that you could potentially eat someone's knowledge through these engrams and inherit them yourself. Now, it happened on the worm level. It hasn't happened on the human level, or has it? If they could get us to eat a docile animal for long enough, like a cow, do we become a docile animal? There you go. I know. It's yeah. so, are, so are we eating their experiences and their engrams? And, and does it have to come? Again, this is 19... Settled science. And it's very controversial even to today because I don't know if anyone's been able to recreate the exact results that this guy claimed that he did with the flatworms. But the same premise remains where it's maybe not eating the brain specifically. It's just eating any part of your body. Well, that would be, you know, any part that might have adrenaline or adrenochrome. So I'm, I'm taking some pains Could here. Could we again, inject so it? Not, yeah, like not just eat it. Could we inject it? And then this is the other question of the study that I would have. If I could get you to eat a little piece of me, do I absorb you? Like if I can stay the living being instead of the split um, flatworm, 
do I get to absorb something of all the flatworms that eat a little piece of me? Like if they split me in half and I get to retain, so I reproduce my original flatworm self and all the flatworms that ate me, do I get their innate knowledge as well? So re repeat that last part. You cut out for just one second. Oh, like, do I get their innate knowledge as well? Like if half of me, they all get to consume and they all get my innate knowledge about the mm -hmm. light. The other half of me that's reabsorbing, do I get all their innate knowledge because they just consumed me? I don't think so. I think you have to be the one consuming these engrams or this adrenochrome or this blood. Like you have to be the one consuming it to get the power by so then, you feeding someone else. I don't think you get anything out of it. The ritual of it on the opposite end, couldn't there it behoove us somewhere to be eating the blood and body of a Christ? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this could go again. If if I think the origin of everything, if and if Jesus was a mushroom and everything, it really does go back to eating and cannibalism, but that cannibalism didn't necessarily mean a human always i think maybe at some point they were talking about mushrooms and then you know things get lost in translation and this is one of those unfortunate times when getting lost in translation meant going from being a vegan to being a human cannibal um but it's it's the same premise i think or it's like this the priests they all drank this blood we all saw it we were this lowly serfs we didn't really understand what was going on and they all had mystical experiences like oracles and so we get the to, grape juice <laughs> yes they give us the grape juice to be like oh let's give them a little bit of what we're up give to give some up wine here. they'll get a little bit of a buzz on the wine they'll think that they talk <laughs> to god i legitimately think that there's part of that but but that continued so much and over such a long amount of time that the priests that knew about the real stuff and were giving everyone else the wine, they eventually just died out and they lost that information. And at some point, all the priests were like, oh, yeah, it's just wine. Like, it's just this metaphorical thing when really it really did maybe mean blood or it really meant something This is else. a reach. Could your adrenal glands, the way they look in the body, also be representative of grapes? And could those grapes be the thing in the Bible? Because it doesn't tell you not to drink alcohol. It tells you not to drink fermented grapes. So could the fermentation of the adrenaline be the oxidization, what you were talking about at the beginning of this, could that be the fermented grape they're talking about? You should not have that oxidized adrenaline out of another human being. So here's kind of what an adrenal gland, oops, way too big. This is kind of what it looks like. And there's actually two. And depending on which side, um, which kidney it's attached to, it actually has a slightly different shape. Um, so one of, so, and there, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, the uh, the original source that I was looking at for, for this research, they actually were talking about the adrenal gland as the size of a brownie or a candy bar. I don't know why they decided to use food as the uh the size rel relative there but yeah um so I, so it's not necessarily grapes but one of them has this crescent shape and the other one has a pyramid shape hmm. so if you all like all this occult symbolism i mean pyramids and crescent moons uh being at the source of what determines whether you're crazy of enlightened knowledge um that's just beyond fascinating to me that is super fascinating.
that is like it, it just it put two different pieces and puzzles of different digs I'll be doing later on that I'll be like, does this mean adrenal gland? Does this mean an adrenal gland? <laughs> on um uh the other different animals and what animals like might produce certain things. So one that comes up a lot is there's this 1972 chrome being harvested from Antarctic penguins. And uh, it just sounded too good to be true. So I did a little bit of a deep dive on this one and it really had nothing to do with adrenochrome in particular. Again, this is where pineal gland research and adrenochrome usually just kind of get like muddled together into the same big ball of mud. But the idea here was that they would take some penguins in the Antarctic, the ones that were around while the, you know, the sun was around for the most of the time. And then they took uh, the pineal glands of penguins while the sun was gone most of the time because it goes through these like long bouts of like eight months of you know darkness and eight months of light whenever and they just wanted to see the actual content of um of melatonin i think that was created by the pineal gland in these two different types of penguins the interesting part is that it was the u.s military that had all of these penguins like killed and their pineal glands kind of packaged up and sent to um some dude in like boston or something do you think any of the white rabbit, it's interesting they started with rabbits and then also that the adrenochrome molecular structure looks like a rabbit? Yeah. So now we're <laughs> going to get into some of the conspiracy theory stuff. So so actually, this is the, the first kind of... In 1972, no one knew about this and no one was coming up with crazy conspiracy theories around it. Uh, it was only, I think, in like more recent times that this particular research came out. But this does, in my mind, this is like the first non-pop culture conspiracy theory reference to this whole genre that kind of follows. Um, it gets into like aliens and reptilians and a lot of that loosh and that fear. Um, but I'm going to get into some of the pop culture stuff and then we'll get back into the conspiracy theory because you just brought up uh, the fact that it looks like a little rabbit, right? Um, the adrenochrome molecule. So, and what we're actually talking about here is the skeleton formula. So if I can do a search for my skeleton. And this is why it's broken all this down. It's so organized. So I, I don't have the, another version of it, but if you look at this particular um, little adrenochrome skeleton formula, usually people say that this is the rabbit. And these two little guys on the end are like maybe the ears and in the front um, are like the two little paws. And they usually draw like a happy little rabbit face in the middle. So this is where some of that rabbit comes in. The other place where it comes in is, again, this idea of psychedelics and philosophy and tapping into these other realms because the rabbit is linked to these secret underground religions and these mystery schools, uh, whether it's Persephone or if it's Ishtar. Ishtar being Easter. We've got the Easter rabbit. I'm not just stringing together random words that sound similar. The The progression of Easter and the etymology really does go back to Ishtar. Rabbits. And part of that was because rabbits, they burrow when they go underground and then they come back above ground. And, you know, the ancients used to say that they were actually going to like the death world. You know, they could leave the world of the living go into this mysterious like Hades world and then come back up so that <laughs> rabbits alone had this ability to traverse uh, sort of like 
reality and nature itself by going above and underground. So that's one of the links here. The other one, too, if you notice, I've got a soccer ball next to this. Um, Very Epcot. And it really is. Uh, it really is a soccer ball because it's not the same shape repeated, right? We've got mm -hmm. five sides on top of six sides. We've got a, uh -huh. a pentagon on top of a hexagram or a pentagram on top of a hexagram. Well, that's exactly how a soccer ball is oriented. Well, why does that matter? Well, this is kind of interesting because um, I, I took the actual shots of the movie out just because I didn't know if, if we could share the screenshots. But I'll do a search for Monsters, Inc. Soccer Ball. And there's a particular scene in Monsters, Inc. It's this scene right here. Um... And it's the opening and the concept, if, if you don't remember what the concept of Monsters, Inc. was. City, entire civilization, and it runs on children's fear. <laughs> like that is their energy. That's their battery power. So a, a child being scared before you were like, what if we have little batteries we could take around with us? There we go. Monsters, Inc., the children are little batteries of fear and they literally power the city. And here we go in the first scene, and this is where we see the monsters coming up from under the bed. This is where the monsters enter the realm of the living and take the adrenochrome and the fear. And there's a soccer ball on the bottom here. And this, I mean, we're getting the fun pop culture aspects of it. But again, there's this adrenochrome skeleton formula at the exact source of where these horrible monsters, these horned creatures, going back to ball come out and they scare you and they they use that fear to then extract it and bring it back to their their city and they use it to you know to give power to their city so this very much is like the the whole concept of monsters inc is just a retelling of ball and moloch worship um and you know in fun little colorful colors and like a nice soundtrack and uh it's funny that we're at the fifa and they have their uh eight logo that their metaverse symbol logo that we're seeing everywhere which also britney spears who we were talking about earlier she's decided to be channel eight when you look at her instagram account for some reason it's so we have this eight symbology over and over again uh and it's soccer of it all i also think it's interesting that in the rabbit um always to go back to disney but mickey mouse originally was a rabbit and so it's funny that they changed him to a mouse over time, but that he was originally a rabbit. And then another, right. another word for rabbit um, would be pussy. That was the original word for rabbit before it meant cat. Uh, pussy I didn't meant. know that. I've never heard that before. And then it's also funny that rabbit is also hair. So um, all these like little nuances uh, that they're letting us know white rabbit, but it just is making me question if there's something, you know, that we know there's certain party drugs that if, a male takes it, it's going to affect you differently than it does me. Like, let's just say like a G, like we're going to go into like some kind of G hole and you're going to take it and you might get like a rage feeling or you might get really uh, down or opposite. You might take it and feel like this, uh, what is it, GHB? Is it GHB? Mm -hmm. That's a yeah, group, group, yeah. Yeah, you might take it and you might fall into this like comfortable space where I take it and I could get this like rage I've never felt before because it like is this synthetic like little testosterone jump or something in my body that my female body's like, what the hell is this? So what if it, this adrenochrome way, like something with the womb, uh, 
that they're up to, they also want to, like a woman can take it differently. She's going to get an oracle feeling about it, whereas an Aleister Crowley is going to get a different whole energy with it. Like you're saying it made the man really docile when they put it on the pigeon. Um, what if it does something like that? Like I, think you're, I think you're on a thread here that that's worth looking into. For sure. Yeah, I feel like Hillary can take it and she can time travel. But if a dude takes it, he's like, Ooh, you can take my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I love that because if, if you look a lot of the, at least today, a lot of that worship um, that gets linked to like, oh, they're doing mall worship and, and you know, ball worship. A lot of it tends to be run by like the marina, um, the marinas out there, and like, you know, uh, I'm I'm drawing blanks on all the celebrities. Marina Abramovich, names. yeah, like the head of it. Uh, although I don't know, I've, I haven't actually heard of any theories on like gender differences between the consumption of adrenochrome or even just this worship in general. But there's there's absolutely enough there to look into. I know it's so curious, like all the pop culture references with it now, and that we wouldn't even know what it means. But even in the recirculation of the Chinese wet markets, and you're saying all these animals they test on, and we know that in these Chinese wet markets, you're getting stuff that's sometimes still alive. So what are they pooling off all these things? Do octopus have a different? And if it's not just um, you know, the CBD, the THC, the, all the other ones, uh, what else is around this adrenochrome that each of these animals could display differently? Yeah. What's that honorage effect look like for all the different sources that it comes from? And also again, skeptic hat back on. <laughs> if we, if I talk about adrenochrome as just this crystallized secular modern day version of like, here's a powder that I've bought off internet but it really represents this concept of child worship and bull worship and everything. Um, even if it goes all the way back to that, uh, I think that there's, there's like these modern day correlations to it that um, like, you don't have to be worshiping the bull. You can just be worshiping the, the concept of this, this ritual. And, and you were saying about the gender differences. I wonder at that old sort of ritual aspect of it if there'd be a difference for like a man offering up a child versus a woman offering up like her own child that actually you know grew inside of her versus the rich people that buy someone else's kid and you that they had the the luxury of taking like scientific notes and they're like okay we're gonna do an offering now and it's the kid that like you know, wasn't crying, you know, let's see what happens next year. Like, I don't think they had the records for that, but there very well could have been ideas of, you know, that sacrifice is worth more because they gave more into it or something. Or like the scapegoat ritual uh, to attach it to bull and bal and all that. And we also have this goat head representation of this horned beast that comes up. And there's the thing that they like show all, they adorn one goat with all of this uh, uh, earthly material wealth and then they like slaughter it cruelly and then they tr treat one like dirt but they keep it alive like they do this weird backward inversion I don't know the whole ins and outs of the scapegoat ritual but I know a bunch of people have pointed it out to me more than once well it's that... again I, I personally think that it's very similar it could just be the exact same concept of that fertility cult because here you've got this the horned thing right that that grew from the spring um you adorn it with this you know 
it might it might be like your your possessions it might be gold and jewels it might be the blood of like you and your kids like they would just put all these different things on it and then kill it and that was supposed to be like look at all of these great things that we're giving back to the earth so that you can give it back to us in this kind of infinite cycle i mean same thing with like cremation of care where they burn the human effigy and it's really to just kind of like here's all of our cares for the world here's all of the work and all of the effort that we've put into everything and we're willing to just kind of like burn it up and sacrifice all of our cares so that it can come back next year. It's it's Thanksgiving. The, it's the same fertility cycle, but just, you know, different cultures and different names. The same way that we mentioned that that Baal and Moloch made their way into like the Minotaur um, through like the Minoan culture. It's the same cult worship that started and. 10,000 years ago plus and now we, we're just so fancy about it now that you know we look it up on our iPhones and we can order it off AliExpress but it's the <laughs> exact same thing so what are some of your favorite ways that you've seen adrenochrome pop up in pop culture uh, uh yeah Let's right in plain ways. sight and maybe hidden that nobody else is noticing yet that you're like are you kidding me <laughs> so I'll, I'll do a rapid fire. And, and if there's anyone in particular that you're interested in, I'll, I'll do a little bit deeper. So I'm, I am earnestly trying to make a full index of every single pop culture reference to adrenochrome, both not by name and by name since, um, 1954 Aldous Huxley kind of being the first one. Uh, we got a movie called The Tingler. We've got Anthony Burgess, Clockwork Orange. They have Drenchrome, which is one of the things that they drink at the Maloko bar where they get like the milk that's got the things in it. It's just mentioned by name, but it's got kind of like a, that's the, might be the first time it was ever in a movie was from Anthony Burgess. Harry Southern Blood of a Wig that I mentioned, which was Do you a short think story. the reference of milk and honey that we always see everywhere could be a mixture? Like if you mix milk and honey together, does it get, give you this adrenochromy looking substance? If you're asking me, I don't think so. I think, okay. I think that there's That's other just... there's other tangents that are worth pulling okay. on. The Hunter S. Thompson is probably the number one most well-known version of adrenochrome. And this is also where that gets into like some kind of Satanism. Um, because inside of this, um, as he's talking to his lawyer, they mention like, oh, I, the only place you can get that is from like a fresh body. And the only people that I know that have access to fresh bodies are the Satanists. So in Hunter S. Thompson's version of this, he draws this, this correlation between um, adrenochrome and Satanism. Although I'm going to show you. In a, in a second here that that's not where the or, the origins of satanism and adrenochrome start not even close to it no um, hunter s thompson's a big person that wants to put the hell's angel in our zeitgeist i mean it, it's even down to that part of his symbology of being a uh what kind he's of, like an agent of chaos very yeah. much he's like a catalyst and i'm yeah. sure he sees himself like that a cannon it's funny he was shot out of a cannon after death there's <laughs> yeah it wasn't johnny depp part of that too yeah <laughs> a pirate would be a perfect person to <laughs> like, uh, go and get adrenochrome <laughs> there's a there was a book i found recently in 1973 called legal highs and coincidentally um the very first chemical uh mentioned in this book from 73 is adrenochrome and you'll actually notice it's actually adrenochrome semicarbazone this semicarbazone, this is 
when I was talking about LSD-25 not being exactly the same as the ergot fungus. It's just kind of like a stable version. This is what makes adrenochrome stable. This is like a version where they they latch on some extra molecules so that it doesn't um, just keep deteriorating over time. And this is why it's able to be kind of like a powder or a salt that you can buy off AliExpress. Um, it's this particular type of adrenochrome, not fresh adrenochrome, not adrenochrome that's got all the cool honorage, you know, stuff that goes with it. This is just like the salted version of it. Um, but anyways, first there's something about it. melanin that is helps just because of the semi-carbons uh, zone. Uh, I think seminole is an interesting name in Florida that used to be the name that they gave all the indigenous people down in that way. So I just think uh, the adrenochrome melanin connection is insane to me. Well, and I think it, there might be a correlation between how much your body produces um, because, again, it's they're all connected in these same systems. So it, I know even the redheaded woman, I wonder if a redheaded woman, like if we know that redheads are harder uh, to put to sleep in surgery, could a redheaded woman in that way, like I'd be interested in that woman that you said had her finger cut off, what color was her hair? Oh man, I'm gonna have to make a note. <laughs> how how mind-blowing would it be though if, if if it turns out that it was a redhead? Well, isn't it crazy? Because you look at like Hillary, maybe not a redhead. But Chelsea seemingly is. So I've I've got a couple other pop culture references. One of them is uh, by William Gibson, and it's in a short story called Burning Chrome, uh, part of like a winter market uh, collection. And this is the guy that wrote the book Necromancer, um, and he's also sort of attributed with being like one of the pioneers of cyberpunk and like that's that kind of like cyberpunk culture and all of like the mech. Um, and technology and transhumanism, he gets attributed to a lot of this. And he's talking about this exact same thing where, hey, this stuff has got some a tricky tail on one of its molecules, keeps you from turning the decomposed adrenaline into adrenochrome. If it didn't, you'd be a schizophrenic by now. This is mm. them talking about that stable version of adrenochrome. Um, and so everything that you're describing with this sounds like Grimes, Elon Musk's uh, baby mama. <laughs> a cyberpunk uh, necromancer? <laughs> That's <laughs> <Yeah>. Grimes. <laughs> uh, then we've got Little Monsters, um, which is sort of a prototypal version of Monsters, Inc., right? Little Monsters is 89. Um, then we've Fred got... Savage? We've got The Dark Crystal. Uh, the mm -hmm. Dark Crystal 1982. Um, here, Here's a quote. Your next little podling, little podling, this won't hurt. We just want to drain your living essence. Then you can be the same as all the other podlings here, a slave. Now with this beam, it'll rid you of your fears, your thoughts, your vital essence. You're very lucky. Only the emperor can drink your essence. Is it ready? Fresh and strong. So here's them taking the life force from this little podling. And they're talking about like invoking fear. Uh, in the process so that that has a correlation and it's weird to me even the visual of the adrenal adrenal glands in my head how much of a little womb fetus they look like in themselves 
And so I always go back to the matrix and like Neo being born, like he was just the first computer born out of a womb um, just because of the contrarian of it all. And everybody wants to be Neo. But what if he's actually a representation of like a fear coming out of an adrenal gland? Like you could totally <laughs> change all of the representation around. <laughs> well, and, and in that movie, they're, talking about harvesting like the energy um and they actually talk about like btus which is which is, like a, a measurement of of heat and energy potential that you can use and um i've the actually got like, red is that oxidization <laughs> good one right because they they keep calling it like the red compound or the red substance yeah. but i was going to make the point that if, if you actually look into the science behind the matrix the the um which you could harvest and actually use as real energy, it would never make up for the amount of food and energy you have to put into the humans. So it actually does not make any sense at all the way that the Matrix was talking about using humans for energy. But if you had to use humans to generate some kind of a biological substance like adrenochrome and the honorage effect that goes along with it, that actually does make harvesting of humans make more sense, at least in the context of the Matrix. <laughs> so weird i like the idea of just taking one philosophy and playing with it the whole show <laughs> so you mentioned it by stephen king before guess what it states that he finds fear in children akin to the salting of meat um so like this is actually using a child going through this process of fear it somehow like tenderizes it or adds flavor, or adds some extra quality to it that it didn't have before that. And again, this makes me think of like the Aztec God that they would make the babies cry to represent the water. Like this archetype just keeps playing itself out, even though it's a, a cheesy, you know, straight to TV horror movie from 84. We're talking about that same archetype. Um, we've got the movie Dune. We've got Groovy Ghoulies is a 1989 album um, named Appetite for Adrenochrome. This is one of the earliest music uh, pre-90s. And we're also going to notice here that, uh, here, I'll, I'll share a little bit more. There's an Illuminati card game that has something called the Immortality Serum. Was that game didn't have an Adrenochrome card because I could have sworn that they did, but I, I haven't found one. Um, there's a song called Adrenochrome by the Sisters of Mercy from 92. We've got the movie Death Becomes Her, where there's a pink tonic, which. Uh -huh. um, then there's also got the movie Hocus Pocus from 93, which kind of is the same concept where they have to find like a young virgin and harvest the life essence to like let them continue living. So again, I'm, I'm drawing the same thread of like vampirism cannibalism adrenochrome even those engrams and the flatworms and eating the knowledge it's all that's the same kind of thread then we've got more movies so this is where it gets fun we've got monsters inc we've got a report from um Aroid, which is one of these like online forums where people go and they type out like their trip reports or like different drugs they've tried so this guy is actually mentioning he ordered some pink adren um, pink adrenaline. This is adrenochrome. And you were asking, well, do you snort it? Do you like, you know, boof it? Do you inject it? People have tried all kinds of it. So that, that legal highs one, um, they actually tried smoking it and reported some effects. 
this one in Oroid was talking about doing an actual intravenous injection. There's examples of people snorting it. Um, we mentioned before the Descartes and some of the people that followed after him mentioned this special snuff that you could sniff and that would affect your pineal gland. I'm on a couple of tangents where they might have actually been concentrating and drying out actual pineal glands, grinding those up into a powder and snorting the actual pineal gland as the drug itself as a way to like ingest someone else's soul or what the remnants of their soul might be. So that's an interesting one to pull at. Um, and then I'm going to, I'll skip forward because now today, like the, the pattern that I found is that almost, there was almost no mentions at all of adrenochrome in popular culture up until around like the nineties, specifically fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Before then adrenochrome had not really entered sort of the popular discussion now we've got in year 2022, there was a show called The Watcher, which is like a, like a, a huge show. I think it was like NBC Universal or something. They talk about sacrificing babies, torturing babies, extracting the adrenochrome by name. This is on like, a, you know, a popular TV show, The Penavariate, which had Mike Myers in it. Um, that also mentions adrenochrome. We've got, a, there was a, a whole entire podcast from The Daily Show that talks about adrenochrome and linking it to blood libel, which is a, a whole other tangent you can pull on. Um, and then now we've got this Balenciaga photo shoot with the word ball. And if you break down Balenciaga turning into ball is king, which if you go back, you know, three hours when we first started talking about this, the word ball kind of meant king. So just saying ball is king is almost like saying king is king <laughs> in a way. So is it almost king is king is the exact same as the Thelema do as I willed. The second you say I am king, nobody else can tell you what to do. You do as you want. And it's interesting that you can translate it just by where you put the spaces into those two different phrases, right? Ball is king, do what you want. Uh, and again, this, this does both tie into the same occult topics so like i was saying before i started out as a skeptic of like oh you're just like throwing these words together and they're from completely different cultures and languages and but no like these things actually do um kind of it's called syncretism where different cultures and religions just combine over time and one of the the english language is that it's very much phonetic like the things that we say are typically spelled in a way so that it sounds like the word that it came from so when ball and bull sound familiar or when these words translate into familiar phrases i don't necessarily think it's as much of a coincidence as i once did i got i got to number six at some point i don't know where my <laughs> sixth coincidence was but it was like it, it was probably like two ball cane and ball being bull and ball being like another word for king and then also being linked to Moloch and the fact that ball but they both are just from formal titles like it just kept building on this list of coincidences at a certain point it's like I gotta write a fucking book about this it's, it's getting too much and it's it's uh it's so much information that I don't want anyone else to have to go through uh, like the mud and the the drugs of of all of this, so I can just kind of put it together, and hopefully someone else can like pick up on some of these threads that I've been putting together. Because it doesn't matter whether or not, like whatever the symbology is, and even if it all started out as ancient ritual and they didn't know why, we can also separate it and say there probably is some high 
that people are also getting from this. And then we know psychedelic realms are real. So um, I've heard people theorize that the reason like a mushroom trip is so good is because the foundation of mushrooms have been around for so many thousands of years. The energy that exists there is a good energy, whereas acid is a hit and miss because the foundation of acid was created with this like mind control property. And so the inhabitants of the acid land are not necessarily always as friendly. So you wonder if you have something like adrenochrome or what it must represent throughout life. Do you go to a realm that's inhabited by a very different amount of things? And are there people that are better equipped to deal with that land or the information they bring back? I think a hundred percent yes, <laughs> and there's actually a there's a guy named Paul Benjamin Blood. Um, man, I'm, I I wish I I could remember every name and date just by by heart. But there's a guy, uh, 1874. This guy Paul Benjamin Blood. Um, and you can actually read his in, this entire book. I think Juan Juan and I did a an entire episode on this particular book on the Occult Book Club. Um, but it's called the anesthetic revelation and the gist of philosophy. And that's the one-on-one -on -one podcast, by the way. Yeah. And you can, you can find this at the occultbookclub.com. If you just go to oh, occultbookclub.com, it should bring you right to the, the YouTube playlist. But so anyways, this, this guy writes this pamphlet called the anesthetic revelation. And in summary, he goes and gets a tooth taken out. And as he's getting his tooth taken out, they give him nitrous oxide and as he's walking home, he's coming down off nitrous oxide and he swears that he gets this like philosophical revelation. He just understands these deep philosophical concepts he's been struggling with his entire life. They just click, you know, it, like he just understands it all. But unfortunately, by the time he gets all the way home to write it down, he's completely sobered up. And now he he's lost it. Like he had the ineffable like name of God. State. Yeah, dude, it was like I was like on the tip of his tongue, you know. And then finally he gets out of it and the dream state's gone and the information's gone. Well, he makes it his life mission. Literally, he just starts experimenting with nitrous oxide for the next 30 years, taking meticulous notes, trying all sorts of different ins and outs and techniques. And he claims that he was able to find a way to use nitrous oxide, go to what he, he refers to as like the realm of philosophers get information from these philosophers and then bring it back into the, you know, the sober waking world. And he was never able to take a hundred percent of what he learned and bring it back, but he was able to come back with like 3% or 5%. He, he could kind of like go into this. And I say like the Akashic record library, just as like a funny way of, you know, going to this world of masters, but like he got to go to the library once in a while and just take out like one little book and then by the time he got back home, there was like a page of the book left, but he kept doing this over the course of 30 years and essentially writes this entire pamphlet begging people like, please do more drugs, do more psychedelics, do more hallucinogens, because the more people that can go to this other realm and take information back. Probably, yeah, that's where the philosophers are living right now. Um, so I do think like you're, you're joking a little bit about it. But I really do think that there's this there's possibility and there might be a difference between if you took natural occurring mushrooms or you took synthetic LSD or took salvia divinorum is one that I like to go into, too, because they have such specific archetypes. People yeah. that take salvia divinorum, they don't just say they go went and they had this crazy trip. They usually see 
a hooded lady, Lady Salvia, that doesn't talk, but that guides them. There's usually this concept of like little creatures. Machine elves. That, little machine elf things. They're Always, typically very small. Salvia. They're very little. They tend to be like um, trying to get you to go somewhere. They're always like, follow us. Come, come with us behind this door. And there's also this principle you mentioned are some people better at it. One of my favorite concepts within Salvia Divinorum is what they call inverse tolerance. And it's the idea that the first time you do Salvia Divinorum, you might not you might not do it at all. You don't get what they call a break. But after you've done it a hundred times, you might actually only have to take like one tenth of what you used to take because unlike mm. every other drug where your body becomes more accustomed to it and you build up a tolerance, Salvia Divinorum has the inverse happen. It's almost huh. like your body begins to realize, oh, they're, we're doing this salvia thing. That's right. I have to like knock down this wall and you take a left over there and you take a right. It's almost like every time you do it, the unheard of in almost any other sort of psychedelic or drug known to man is this concept of inverse tolerance. It, have it you exists heard, elsewhere, but this is kind of off topic, but I feel like kind of maybe right on topic um, that when we have hiccups, it's our body's way. This is so silly that when we used to be a fish, um, it's something, some kind of air bubble. So our body isn't aware that it doesn't have gills anymore. So if you get hiccups, <laughs> you can tell your body you're no longer a fish. You're fine. And you'll immediately stop with the hiccups. I'm going to try that the next time. It's like how you're saying, like, you just take a left here and a right here. Like, it's something so far um, back in our head that just the simple way of, like, um, looking at one of those things on the wall, those magic art paintings that once you tell someone, oh, it's an anchor. Now their eyes can blend and they're like, oh, my gosh, I see the anchor. You know, it, it's like one of those kind of things that uh, are we not just ourselves that we could be better psych delic knots but maybe that our bloodlines are too so that's where you get the like holy womb or the holy grail of a bloodline and and this again i'm, I'm going to bring up that the honorage effect in the marijuana research because it's it's such a, a pertinent point because we didn't know about any of that until it was allowed to be researched and you know meticulously all across the world essentially or at least in the states um, it was only through that research that we find all these like little interactions. So again, maybe there's something with that with salvia divinorum that we just don't know because it's illegal to do any sort of massive research unless you've got like a grant like educational institution, you know, but okay. they're still doing an A today. Another weirdest weird one. In a flatworm way, could I inject myself into a fetus? And then it have all my information for its lifetime. So, yeah. So, so we're talking about almost the transhumanist aspect a little bit where Descartes says that the soul lives in the pineal gland and it can leave and it can come back in. So, and he was obsessed with this concept that if you could somehow control that, you could like get the soul to leave before you're going to die and then get it to jump into another body that you were aware of. Um, and if you think about it, this is transition from vampirism and cannibalism, where it's like, if I bathe in the blood of, you know, virgin children, then I get to live forever. Well, at a certain point, it's like, well, I don't want to live forever because this bot, this biological body is just going to keep breaking down and I'm going to have to keep replacing it and have to keep bathing in blood over and over. So if I can just say like, whatever, this body is going to wither away and decay, 
But if I can extract my soul and then pop it into the next body on the way in, then that's an even better version of immortality because I never have to worry about the ebbs and flows of, you know, like my body and the unpredictable nature of that. I can just keep popping it into different sort of vessels. Um, so this is probably an even better form of immortality because now you can like secretly transfer knowledge from one generation to the next. And there, there's a, it's an old comic you probably won't be able to find. It was called Titan AD. And the premise of Titan AD was that the the, Ro the Rockefeller family actually went back like 8,000 years and they found this way that if they killed themselves in a certain way or if they knew they were going to die, they could somehow like project their soul out and kind of put it into like a waiting room, you know? And then the next time, like the next bloodline was going to be born, they could jump into that baby. So it was never like John D Rockefeller has actually been alive for 10,000 years. He just, he, he knows the secret to reincarnation and that's how they're able to amass all this wealth and knowledge is because they can literally stand on the shoulders of their ancestors that they've known and bring it up to modern day. So there's, I don't know if that's actually possible, but no, it's I find kind of that vampiric. beyond fascinating. It's totally vampiric in a way, because that's what we think of with vampires, 6,000-year-old men. But instead of a way that their body could be harmed, in a way like death becomes her, it'd be even better if they could just jump to a different body so they didn't have to worry about age and sickness and illness. And now if someone's got your mugshot from the 1700s, you don't got to worry about it because you pop into a new body. Yeah, like Nick Cage. <laughs> Nick Cage and Keanu Reeves. <laughs> All right. Is there anything you want to leave people with before we go? Like anything to wrap it up the whole thing? Uh, I mean, I, I really just want to kind of restate again that adrenochrome has all this mythology kind of baked around it. And it's because of the fact that it came through Aldous Huxley misinterpreting it as a hallucinogen or a psychedelic because of claims that if you injected the blood of schizophrenia patients, you would be put in an altered state. But that kind of set this trajectory and his uh, proximity to Hollywood in particular, to where Hollywood got their, you know, their little paws on top of this adrenochrome topic. And that's really the reason why it's kind of surrounded with all this mythology. But I don't think it's any, um, not just a coincidence that Hollywood is also sort of this center of modern day Moloch and ball worship and ritual sacrifice. And even if it's not in a literal sense, which I could very easily be persuaded that it is very literal in that they're doing, you know, actual child sacrifice. But even if it's just like a metaphorical thing, that's Hollywood's whole bag. And if, and if they can make you think that it's happening uh, or if they can just dramatize it enough, there's very little difference between the actual act and you observing it and sort of integrating it and thinking that it's real. Like there's like, there could be a placebo effect almost of like them saying they're doing it and doing these rituals, even if it's fake blood, it could still have that same sort of end effect. So adrenochrome, I see as a secular crystallized chemical form of blood libel, of ball worship, of child sacrifice. Now it's just a thing that you can order on Alibaba. <laughs> It's uh, interesting to me that adrenal glands is also the AG and the silver that is uh, <laughs> coded in our DNA. Um, but the silver is the feminine metal. So it makes that's the other thing that I'm like, is there something with this like Oracle 300 magic that they were giving something to the virgin to make her go to a place? Was it adrenochrome maybe to make her go to a place to see whatever that 
etherical future Tesla idea is so she could come back and tell them whether or not they should go to war? I think answer is yes. And <laughs> and the the Oracle is a great way to, to leave this off. So you've got the Oracle Delphi and some of the claims were that she was sitting above this like natural gas release and part of that natural gas. And I think that there was like some sulfur or some other things in it, but that would actually put her in a state of like inebriation. So she would start hallucinating and that's where she got to go into the Akashic record library and check some books out and come back and tell everyone about it. But this, this is like um, a synthesized version, right? Like you have to take a person that's, that's typically normal and then give them this drug and it puts them into this state. So adrenochrome is like that person always being an oracle, even without having to sit on the fancy chair and above the fancy, you know, drugs that are coming up and invoking this. If you found someone that was just naturally, I'm just going to blank a term called schizophrenic, but you could say like, they're just an oracle 24 seven. And, you know, if, if you had someone that, you know, like, well, when this lady sits in the chair and the steam comes up, that's the only time she acts crazy. And the rest of the time, like, you know, she's, she's okay. Like the prophecies, because you know that there's like a, a baseline version of this Oracle. But if the Oracle was just always making prophecies, like even when you weren't asking them for it, I mean, that would almost seem like a schizophrenic or like a mentally unwell person. So it's really just the control aspect. I know you don't like all the words that sound alike, but it's interesting in this moment to me how much chrome sounds like crone and crone would just be another word for witch. And so if we were to make a adrenal crone, if we were to um, <laughs> turn on the witch with adrenaline, um, wouldn't that kind of be this idea is you're becoming an oracle because you're taking this drug. So it's like, oh, you're... The adrenal um, crone. <laughs> The adrenal crone. That's the that's the name of my when I riff off my <laughs> that's my superhero name. Da 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 Adrenal Crone. <laughs> I don't know how that'll go over well. <laughs> It'll probably go over as well as uh the new meme I made that's like the Jaws poster, except I did it in the catch me if you can catch me if you can 1950s vibe except they have kanye west swimming across the top and it just says jews <laughs> uh -oh. i'm like what account do i put this on so if i take the harsh hit i think i'm gonna do twitter so i can do it right at elon and be like is this allowed <laughs> <laughs> anyways i really appreciate that you came and did this it was super informative and i feel like there's 47 different rabbit holes now that I have to go into different people and different connections. Yeah. And I don't know if you were seeing as I was whipping through my, my document here, but I mean, it, it goes back to like 7,000 BC and I follow the best I can. This, the exact chain from the original fertility cult bull worship specific to like child sacrifice all the way up to this modern day. So I think we might've touched on about 5% of all the different, um, sort of bullet points and historical notes here. So I know I still even like you said the soccer ball. I wanted to say, is there any ping pong reference to them with this? Because we see ping pong pat. I was just gonna throw out other random symbols to see if you found anything yet in your digs that you're like, huh? Now that you mention it, <laughs> like other Forrest Gumpy type curious George stuff. Or I mean that it was. I mean th there's. This one's not like groundbreaking because you've probably seen it, but Comet Ping Pong and the Comet is basically like the morning star. 
Um, so you've got like this Luciferian reference of knowledge of the gods coming down to earth. So if you go on this engram, this idea of like taking adrenochrome could actually give me the knowledge um, or like the power of the person that I'm taking it from. Again, this cannibalistic idea, but the morning star and the Luciferian aspect is like this Promethean philosophical vampirism right it's not like i'm eating your blood and i'm I'm becoming stronger that is another theory but this is like i can eat your soul and i can gain part of your soul well i know i'm gonna have you back on um project cheney a whole bunch more and obviously i want you back when you finish this whole idea but i'm sure you'll be researching it like another year before you actually start putting it all in your real book form um but Anytime you ever want to come on and uh, philosophize about anything, I'm always around for it. Uh, I'm going to take you up on it. I, I promise. I love it. Okay. Tell everyone where they can find you and any other uh, things you've been working on. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll do another share real quick and uh, I'll pull up my Paranoid American. So you can find me at paranoidamerican.com. You can find me at, at Paranoid American on Instagram. And I'm rapidly working towards getting banned off of TikTok and uh, and Twitter, possibly. But it's just at Paranoid America, no end for those. And then for recent projects, uh, the most recent is this, the Chosen One Number Two, which it's currently on Kickstarter as just this little like sign up page. But we're waiting to get enough people to actually sign up, and then we're going to launch this as the next project. Um, and this that issue coming up, it's going to have. Sam Tripoli, XG, Johnny Warder in it. I think uh, Alex Stein is going to be in this episode. It's going to be very controversial and uh, a funny one. Um, and then I've got another new thing that I'll, I'll kind of mention here that is coming out next year called Illuminati, spelt N-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Um, and some of the, the example stories here is I've got a story about John D. and Edward Kelly um, where they summon an angel and the angel tells them that they need to share their wives in order to like get this <laughs> this knowledge, which is a true story based on John D's actual diaries. Um, there's a story called Crowley in Bush, which is the the idea that Alistair Crowley um, had relations with Barbara Bush's mom. So this is kind of like assuming that that was true. And showing exactly what happens. There's one called Dinner with Demons, which is Lovecraft meets Eyes Wide Shut meets the the Rothschilds uh, surreal dinner party. Um, so I'm not going to go through every single one of them. I've got like a whole bunch of different. You have Man is, from Mars on here yet? I don't have Man from Mars. I've got Ultra Hippie Assassin. <laughs> uh, I've got a sci-fi sorority, which is like a reptilian sorority that that. Um, lures people in and harvests their adrenochrome and uses it uh, for their reptilian agenda. So it's kind of a bunch of silly and sort of like fun stuff. But this is going to be an entire like mature only series that comes out next year. So this will be kind of a fun one. I love it. I think you do the best stuff. I think you have the best merch. Uh, I have the uh, uh, first issue of One on One and I will go sign up for the second one now. And I think anyone out there in the realm of uh, doing anything entertainment, I think you're a person they need to be reaching out to and uh, uh, picking your brain because you know the best stuff. I about need all it. The I topics. need the traffic. I need the eyes because. I... 
maybe a month ago I got reinstated, I can I can do like Facebook ads again or something. But for the last 10 years, I've been unable to do any sort of promotion. It just immediately gets banned, gets taken off. And I'm not just talking shadow banning. I'm like, literally, it just says uh, like Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Like, we do not approve of your content, your peddling conspiracy theories. Uh, it's kind of right in my name, so I can't duck away from it. So I entirely rely on podcasts and word of mouth and people outside of you know marketing campaigns to take affinity what i'm doing so yes please even if even if you don't have anything to buy and you don't want to spend anything just uh hit me up send me a message let me know like you know what conspiracy theories or topics you're interested in yeah it's all amazing stuff and i am so grateful that you come and hung out on project cheney today so thank you thanks you guys for listening bye bye so she has been Chaney and now she's off to smoke a blunt. See you next Tuesday, you fucking cunts.